You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Ah, It Could Happen Here is a podcast, uh, and it is kind of happening here uh, mm. because there have just was just an attack on uh, several power substations in the city of North, or not city, in the state of North Carolina um, that left something like 40,000 people without power for several days. I believe at, at the moment at least one person died as a result of this. There have been car crashes. It's pretty fucked up, and... Uh, we are going to be talking about that. Obviously, as a result of this, number one, there were a lot of immediate suspicions that came out that this was tied towards a drag queen uh, story hour type event that was going to be being held um, on the day that the attack was carried out. There's suspicions that this is the result of far right activity. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that and everything around that right now. Um, we have on the episode for today, myself, Garrison Davis, James Stout, and we are also bringing in friend of the pod, researcher, and woman about town, um, but not this town, a different town, because we live on opposite sides of the country, Molly Conger. Molly, I've been saying your last name wrong for years, even though we've been friends for quite a while now. <laughs> I don't know why I never said anything. It's come up so many times. Yeah. Um, so, Garrison, you've kind of been taking point on putting together this one, so I'm going to let you kind of take the reins unless you want me to, uh, to, to, to direct this more. But I do think kind of the place to start is 
are we watching a gigantic right-wing insurgency unfold, uh, or is this a more complex case? And obviously, the answer is the latter, as it is anytime someone poses a question like that. No, it's we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pick this the simple, more scary, more inflammatory option and leave it at that. Um, yeah, do a that's tweet. Gonna, that's good. Send tweet. No, so yes, um, the aftermath of the North Carolina attack is kind of. It's gotten a lot of people to learn about infrastructure attacks for the first time and get really scared about them and realize that this is a problem and then start bringing up past incidents where this has happened and mm -hmm. trying to draw this like overall pattern, which isn't entirely incorrect, no. but the way they're going about it is not very no. responsible nor really well-informed. Yeah, so one of the things we've seen is like the... There have been a lot of attack. Like, uh, 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 it does seem accurate to say that over the course of the last year or two, there have been more attacks on power infrastructure. Um, but that yes, doesn't we, mean we that have these are, we have yeah. lots of data on this. There yeah. has the past five years, there has been a pretty strong increase mm -hmm. in the number of attacks on power stations. And it's also true that this is a thing the right has been the far right, like the Nazi right in particular, has been trying to get people to do for longer than anyone on this podcast has been alive. Um, this goes back to the Turner Diaries, even pre that stuff. This is in Siege. Um, and this is, you know, there has been very recently this summer a couple of pieces of fairly well put together Nazi propaganda that was advocating for people to carry out attacks like this. And the reason is that it's easy and it's high impact. It's very easy to fuck up a power substation. All you need is a gun. Um, and it's very easy to get away with it because most of them have effectively zero security. Yeah. And it explained how to do it as well, right? Sorry, Molly. Like, it it, 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 it was literally a guide to fucking up a substation. Yeah, because there's specific... We're not going to give you guys a guide to fucking up power substations on this podcast, but it's not hard. <laughs> yeah. That's um, next week. Yeah, that's next week in our three-parter. It's yeah. on the Patreon. You gotta be on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the Patreon special episode. How to destroy power infrastructure for fun and profit. Yeah. No, but I, I think too, if you're trying to propagandize people to take action, you know, we've all seen plenty of manifestos from people who carried out mass shootings trying to propagandize people to take action in, in that effect. Um, but we've also seen the chats when somebody fails right like if somebody doesn't get what they call it you know a high score if somebody carries out a yeah. mass shooting that doesn't result yeah. in very many deaths it's embarrassing for them um, but this is for the perpetrator relatively low stakes if you fail no one will know if you miss no one will know um if you hit the you know if you hit it and it just looks like vandalism and the power doesn't go out no one will know that you failed and you can try again later you don't die uh and that's yeah. that's the title of one of the one of the yeah. um pieces of propaganda that I sent you, right? The title of it is Make It Count, which is um, an abbreviated yeah. form of a quote from Siege, uh, which is, which, you know, in... It's a yeah, Nazi I'm not, insurgency I'm not read the, the whole manual from, from Siege, a couple the of decades effect, ago. The general yeah. um, gist of the quote is that, you know, the price of failure is death, so whatever you choose to do, make it count. So this is a way to... A relatively low stakes for the perpetrator... Mm -hmm way to have a very high impact with low risk of personal yeah. failure. And what I did find, and we'll get off, we'll move to the broader topic in a second, because I think focusing too much on the Nazis right now is going to frame things the wrong way. But yeah. one of the things I did find interesting about that piece of propaganda was the acknowledgement and the introduction that like carrying out these mass shootings is not going to accomplish our broader goals in part because people have gotten inured to them. 
whereas destroying power infrastructure, if you can fuck up the grid, they believe that's going to like, and I think obviously this is a, a silly line of thought, but they think it's going to like lead to the, I mean, this is always what they think it's going to lead to like the race war that they want, right? That's that's the, the thinking there. So it the is- The B in that equation is like A to B to C, like yeah, if this, I, then I, question mark, question mark, race war? Yeah, they're Nazis, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're Nazis. Yeah, they're yeah. not right about things. But um, the the- the, the fact that all this propaganda is out there, the fact that they've been talking about this so long is part of why everyone is convinced that, like, there's this massive new insurgency that's just broken out and that that's what all of these attacks are, which doesn't mean that none of them are. Um, it's also worth noting that the year before this happened in the same state in North Carolina, a group of Nazis were arrested by the feds for trying to do attack power infrastructure. And they also had plans in the Pacific Northwest where there have been in Washington and Portland attacks on some power infrastructure. I mean, um, it, it, they also, there also just so happens to be a lot of Nazis here. Yeah. The, both <laughs> the Carolinas and the Pacific yeah. and the Pacific and the Pacific Northwest uh, are home to a lot of people who yeah. self-describe as like militant neo-Nazi yeah. accelerationists. And uh, I, what I think we should do now before we get too much off this, and we, we can return to this topic, is talk about the fact that, and this is kind of the important context, a lot of people who aren't Nazis fuck up electrical grids all the time. Yeah. It's yes. actually very easy, and people seem to just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's American pastime. <laughs> I think yeah. there's 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 been a lot of missteps people have taken in talking about this and kind of, you know, some people have gotten scared and have kind of, you know, uh not not looked at this uh fully analytically in a way that is actually really helpful because there's been a lot of kind of retrospective uh misinformation going around on attacks that have happened in the in the past few months that have only really gotten reported on or noticed in the wake of the North Carolina attack, which has kind of caused this narrative to come out that since the North Carolina attack, there's been like a bajillion of other yeah. uh, other attacks happening in quick succession, which actually isn't true. So yeah. that's, I, I, I first kind of want to talk about the types of stuff that is, that people are generally getting wrong about this because it's a, a good, a good deal. People are, are, are misunderstanding some, some of what's going on here. Um, so there was this, you know, pretty pretty viral uh, uh, story made by a news station in Florida that came out a few days ago, uh, talking about how it's all caps substations targeted. Report shows uh, intrusions at Duke Energy power stations in Tampa Bay and elsewhere in Florida. So very scary, obviously, because Duke Energy is also the place in North Carolina that was attacked. But Founded by the guy who invented the modern cigarette, by the way. Based. I learned that from you. Based. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, it, is, yeah, yeah. it is based, Garrison. Yes. Okay. But Good if you <laughs> if guess. you look if, if 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 you look at the actual story, these intrusions that they're talking about happened last September. They did not. They did not happen mm -hmm. uh, a, a few days ago. And then also similarly, uh, for the first time, there was reporting on a whole bunch of substation attacks in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, that reporting was dropped after the North Carolina attacks. Uh, in part because a, a, a memo was was uh, was posted by a few different news sites that they probably did open records requests in the wake of the North Carolina attack. They found this memo, reported on it, and now people have this you know have learned learned about, learned about this other thing that happened in November. So, but people who don't who really are only looking at headlines or only looking at tweets um, or posts wherever, right? Uh, they look at these attacks. They look at you know the succession of them. 
uh, becoming public after the North Carolina thing, and they're kind of drawing this narrative that these things have happened one after another, and it's part of this brand new wave of things. And it, it is part of a, a, a wave of things in like the broad sense, but it's not all happened within the past two weeks. So the, yeah. the, the, the first thing is like when it's super easy for disinformation and misinformation to spread uh, very rampantly in the aftermath of these types of attacks um, and these types of incidents, you know, some of these probably are not attacks. Um, and it, it, it's really easy to kind of glom onto a narrative that's compelling and scary. And if you just dig a little, little bit deeper, deeper, you'll realize there's a whole bunch of context that, that you're missing. So that's always an important first step when, the, when these things are happening. Yeah. And it's, Part of the part of the story here, and I think part of why it's important to understand that, like, the surge in attacks on power infrastructure is a thing, but it's not necessarily tied to the fact that Nazis are attacking the power infrastructure, is that, like, it's easy to do. It's easy to do casually. And this has been known for a while. About a decade ago, 2013, there was an attack in the Bay yep. Area on, I think, was it, was it two power substations? Um, yeah, I think so. The Metcalf Sniper. Yeah, the Metcalf sniper. Not, we don't know how many people were involved, but suspected it's 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 su- suspected more than one. Yes, yes, yes. sniper. Um, and this was a very if, if this was a, tr- a practice attack, a training attack, a ter- then it was a very effectively carried out one because we still don't know who did it. And yeah. um, re- regardless of the motive, this incident has been mythologized in a lot of extremist circles as like an example of here's a successful thing that is replicable and you can mm-hmm. get away with it. Yeah. it. This is this is one of the most highly referenced incidents of infrastructure attack on you know across you know whether you're like a anti-civ luddite or whether you're a neo-nazi accelerationist this is this specific 2013 attack is highly referenced yeah. and we'll circle back to this towards the end uh, but i guess i'm, I'm going to quote from a, a recent report by the george washington university on power substation attacks um they are they are extremely common they are they are becoming increasingly common since 2016 white supremacists are not the only ones who, who do them they were also um from from 2016 to, to 2019 a whole bunch of uh, isis inspired terrorism also hit s- s- um substations across the united states mm-hmm. uh they are they are they are not exclusively done by white supremacists and there's also Sometimes they're just shot at by random people with guns. Yeah, and, um, and to be step and, up and, from a road sign. Let's, let's be honest. So the Metcalf attack, it's not impossible that it was just an un, usually lucky group of yahoos who wanted to shoot some power infrastructure. We have <laughs> so no I, idea. I think yeah. the number of rounds fired directly yeah. into yeah, the no, I, I, system I, probably I, makes that unlikely. All, all, uh, almost like, every intelligence agency will disagree with you on that, Robert. Yeah, yeah but they, you know what? They didn't <laughs> catch <laughs> shit. <laughs> they didn't catch but, shit. <laughs> but to Robert's right. point, I think, yeah. I think there is some value in remembering that a drunk guy in the woods might love to fire a gun at something that's yeah. going to spark. That's and if you're going to shoot funny. a gun, yeah. you might as well shoot it a lot. No, I, I, I but you probably like, wouldn't shoot it two hundred times. No, <laughs> it, it, it it was very it was it was very anyway. I, I yeah. there is we and we talked about this a bit in our planning. There was one attack, and Molly, you you probably could recall the year better than I was, but it was a couple of years ago where the guy attacked a power substation. Because he, and he talked about this at length in his trial, he thought people were on their phones too much. Yeah, so I said, I sent this one to you the other day. Based, based. 
my I, I loved I love to find a court record. I love mm-hmm. to spend all my all my pocket mm-hmm. change on Pacer and they've given me access to the law library. So I spent all day today um looking for any case where not not just charged or convicted, but any case where um USC 1366 18 USC 1366 was brought up. So uh 1366 is the the federal statute for damaging or conspiring to damage an energy facility. Mm-hmm. And so energy facility means power lines, power substations, coal mines, nuclear facilities, any place where power is made, right? So it's a pretty broad statute. And so I looked up uh, a few dozen cases where that was on the table to sort of bring the temperature down and say like, okay, aside from Nazis trying to cause a race war, what are some other things that lead to somebody getting charged with this? There's other yeah. motivations, other scenarios, um, and that case was um, Jason Woodring. Um, Jason Woodring in August 2013, he tried to use a, um, this is a, a quote from some news coverage at the time, tried to lasso a train with a cable <laughs> attached to a high voltage tower. Oh, <laughs> honestly, Chad, Chad, Chad. Un- uncritical yeah, support. Yeah, just just of the pod. Um, he is still in prison. <laughs> Um, right, yeah, right J- to Jason this man. Right, right letters. Yeah. We'll do a T-shirt. Everyone was fundraise. too distracted by their screens, by their phones, by their gaming, and he just wanted people to remember what's important. So he Which tried to lasso a train with yeah. a high voltage wire. Now I probably um, don't need to. Add. <laughs> yeah, we probably don't need to add this. He was a big enthusiast of methamphetamine. <laughs> he has some court-ordered substance abuse treatment. And we wish him nothing but the best. Nope. Yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to be just fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I so I found some other cases where there was an intentional attack with the you know with the stated intention of bringing down the grid, but for like non-Nazi reasons. Yeah. Um. In the in the early two thousands, um, a bunch of ELF um, yep. activists were charged mm-hmm. with thirteen sixty six for arsons to energy facilities. Um. This is an odd one. In twenty nineteen, a guy named Stephen McRae. Uh, was sentenced for attacking uh, one substation by shooting out the cooling fins. And as part of his plea agreement, he admitted to three other attacks. Um, He got caught because he told a friend of his that he'd been shooting shit up. (laughs) (laughs) And his friend was was concerned and went to the FBI and they had his friend record some of their conversations. Oh, bad friend. Um, And so he he said things like um, his stated motive was attacking corporate America. So something would okay. be done about global mm. warming. He wasn't well, otherwise okay. noted as an environmental activist, but he was concerned about the corporations, which I don't me know too, if that's too, sort of Alex Jones <laughs> yeah. coded yeah, language yeah, yeah. about the globalists. Or yeah, that, that could have come from using? a couple of different places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lizard people, maybe. Who knows? But he, you know, right before his arrest, he told his friend that he was planning a granddaddy event that would make yeah. national news and <laughs> shut down the whole West Coast. Okay, yeah. well, okay. that's, maybe, that's maybe, probably why the, the, the friend went to the FBI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah, 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 sometimes. You can't, uh, don't tell that to your friend. Yeah, yeah. or really anyone if you're planning like, to do that. Your friend is still snitching you, that sucks, but like, don't, don't tell yeah. that to your yeah. buddy. Although, uh, according to the um, Bureau of Prisons Inmate Locator, which is another tool I've, I really enjoy, mm-hmm. he was released in September. That's oh, good. I hope he's doing better. Thriving. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I'll Finding say because this, I think, uh, helps to make the point that like 
this is not all or mostly Nazis doing this kind of thing. Wait, a so lot, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of point people want to do this. I'm trying to make about the, you know, these sort of, I found a third case that sort of fits the same pattern. A guy who shot out a transformer for reasons I can't quite discern based on the court filings. But again, in all three of these cases, the Miles Maynard case in Alabama in 2008, Jason Woodring in 2013, Stephen McRae in 2019, they all had court ordered psyche valves. And in, in McRae's case, there were questions about his competency to stand trial. Miles Maynard died shortly after being released from prison. These, uh, these are people who were not well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that not that being unwell or having a substance use problem makes you shoot no. at a substation. But these aren't explicitly ideological. These yeah. are people who just got an idea in their head and didn't control it well. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think part of when you're kind of looking at just any of these attacks and you're trying to discern as stuff pops into the news, is this likely part of a an insurgent trend or is this like some dudes fucking around? One of them would be like, what was the, how much, like how much effort and planning does it look like went into the, the Metcalf yeah. attack looks like quite a lot. I would yeah. say the most recent Portland and Washington attacks, given the extent to which there were break-ins look like it was organized. They seem very, planned. a lot of steps yeah. had to, had to go in. So I, uh, yeah. let's have an ad break and then we'll go yeah. into some more actual yeah. details of the North Carolina attack and some of the Pacific Northwest ones mm -hmm. and then kind of circle yeah. back to why yeah. people are talking mm -hmm. about accelerationism so much. Yeah. You know who loves planning a series of infrastructure attacks? The sponsors of this show. Mm -hmm. Attacks on the infrastructure of your wallet. We're back oh. and nothing that we said before the break can legally be called incitement. Um, it's a joke. It's fine. So uh, now we're, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the details of the North Carolina attack and some of the attacks in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, just get, get into some more of the actual details that have been going on uh, with these most recent attacks that have kind of caused people to speculate on various things. So the agencies involved in investigating the North Carolina Moore County attack have disclosed very little information about what's happened. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've said that the equipment was hit by gunfire and that the shooters appeared to know what they were doing. Uh, investigators have found nearly two dozen shell casings from high-powered rifles um, in, in the area. Uh, around 45,000 uh, people lost power, and uh, that power outage lasted for, like, at least five days as, as the company tried to replace these very large pieces of equipment, uh, many of which were damaged beyond repair. So investigators are zoning in on two threads of possible motives, uh, centered around extremist behavior uh, for the for the for the attack that happened last last Sunday, uh, one of these one of these is writings by extremists on online forums encouraging attacks on critical infrastructure, uh, as well as uh, a series of recent disruptions of LGBTQ plus events across the nation by domestic extremists, uh, according to law enforcement sources disclosed to CNN. So these these are the two things that people are looking into. Uh, initial uh, uh, speculation, like of the night of the shooting, uh, centered on right wing backlash towards a drag show that was set to be held that same day at a nearby theater. The drag show was shut down as it was going on because the power went out. Um, and there was a, a a local a local activist made some cryptic comments on their Facebook, and they then received. Uh, a police visit. The police no prayed with them cryptic. about it. I, I also like that the, 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 the this person who who made these cryptic posts 
um, was also an army psychological operations officer. Mm-hmm. So they, former, they, she's, uh, she's they, left. They literally she worked in psyops. Was, she was, was asked like, to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, I don't think she her job her. was psyops. <laughs> Like her yeah. job was psyops, and she, this was the person that 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 posted about this being tied to the drag show. So take that as as you will. Um, this person's group earlier that day uh, had had a protest uh, inc- involving armed individuals in military gear to to you know push back against the uh, the drag show. So, but but yeah. So the, 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 those are the two threads that investigators are looking into. Is one accelerationist uh, rhetoric and writings that has gotten more popular the past few years, and then two, may be connected to this wave of, of, of like, anti-queer stuff. <sighs> Let's see. Um, one, 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 one interesting kind of thing of note is that uh, three weeks before this attack, another substation was deliberately disabled in eastern North Carolina. Uh, this th- this attack happened on Friday, November 11th. It sh- it shut down electricity uh, for about 12,000 homes and businesses. Power was restored in a few hours, though. This one this one was easier to fix. Um, in a statement posted on the company's website for a few days after the incident, uh, they described it as vandalism, and the company said that vandals quote damaged transformers, causing them to leak coolant uh, oil. Uh, but the statement does not explicitly say what the method was. Yeah. And this is, again, not uncommon because you're trying to, like, find people who might have, like, that's part of how you can, like, make a case against people is if you can prove they know details of the case that aren't publicly possible. Like, there's a reason why they're not going to say what caliber the weapon is or whatever. Yeah. They did say it wasn't the same as the one used in uh, in the Metcalf attack, which was 7.62 short. So, yeah. Yes. But the the gun that was used on the December North Carolina attack was different than the casings found at, at, at the, uh, Which, at the, two, yeah. the t- 2013 one. In fairness, to, uh, doesn't mean much. D- yeah. Does not no, mean much no, at no, all. No, it doesn't. I know there was a lot of initial sort of anger and frustration over the use of the word vandalism in the initial reporting. Um, I think it's fine to use that word because when you don't know what happened, yeah. all you can see that happened is that someone damaged property. We don't know the motivations behind it. We don't know yeah, that they intended to knock out power because like we said, Sometimes people in the woods just shoot at shit because it yeah. looks funny. So I, th- I think it's fair to not want to use that word. But I think in yeah. initial reporting, especially from authorities, especially from people who could get sued for libel later down the line, the word yeah. vandalism is not incorrect. No. And it's this is like I, I think if you're at if you want to know, like, what would immediately set some someone off that like something is likely not vandalism? Well, the Metcalf attack is good because uh, so much was fired at the transformer. I would mm-hmm. say if like a thing that would make me think maybe this is just some Yahoo fucking around is if it's 30 rounds or less fired and there's no attempt wow. to actually break onto the facility. Um, 30 right, rounds because like that's kind of a standard capacity magazine. Well, and yeah. Which ones the don't? The reason why, because because the, the North Carolina attack in December did not have many rounds, but the reason why it isn't, we do know it's intentional, is two substations were hit um, yeah, that like like one person hit one, then traveled and went to another. It was like mm-hmm. the, it just seemed like a lot of were... a lot of people sort of expressing this outrage. Especially you know as we're tying these other incidents to it, you know the ones in Florida, the ones in Pacific Northwest. When we have very little information, it's okay to call it vandalism because that's yeah the baseline, yeah. right? That you don't have to use if you start using terrorism for every minor incident, it it dilutes it. It's not helpful. It creates hysteria. So I just wanted to 
get yeah. that on the table. Anything yeah, that's and well, I mean, like, but, yeah. So uh, e- even in like uh, November, the FBI was issuing warnings um, of, of of reported threats to electricity infrastructure by people espousing racially or ethnically motivated extremist ideo- ideologies to uh, quote create civil disorder and inspire further violence. So uh, FBI was sending bulletins to to pr- private industry. Um, multiple times in the past two months there's been a lot of bulletins being sent out Mm -hmm. um which is i think part of why this in the aftermath of the Mm -hmm. attacks with all these public record requests and more reporting on it where people are realizing how much of a thing this actually is Mm -hmm. um i think in 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 attacks like these on on substations or other power grid infrastructure are definitely more common than what you might think and do seem to be increasing in frequency on in the yeah. in, in the broad sense and, and um, some yeah. of some of them are certainly have as we know from arrests that have taken place are part of decentralized right-wing attempts at an insurrection that's not wrong to say it's just the the problem is larger and more complicated than that and to some extent, it's a problem of like I I would I would be shocked if part of the explanation for why this is happening so much more is not that Americans have a shitload of guns and during the pandemic people were bored and kind of going crazy like you know people have like, no chill yeah they have no yeah, chill yeah. they're stuck at home and you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's easy to do and you want to see something spark that's part of the problem right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and they, they have been increasing since 2015. There's, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Th- there were 70 reports of emergency electric incidents and disturbances mm-hmm. caused by dis- uh, suspected <laughs> physical attacks, sabotage, or vandalism <laughs> from January to August of 2022. Um, that figure represents a 75% increase from 40% uh, around uh, reports in like 2015, which is the first year that there's comparable data for. And it's it's also worth really noting that there is and was as soon as this happened in Metcalf in 2013, suggestions were made as to a really easy way to make it harder to do this, which would not be wildly expensive, which is to put sandbags in front of the coolant systems, yeah. which will block most conventional rounds. And at that point, I tech. Like, yeah, yeah, not yeah. high tech, yeah, not uh, hard to accomplish. And it would also let you know anyone who is going to get around those sandbags They're is going to be ideologically committed, right? Yeah. For whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. Yeah. You could shoot a, a sandbag still. A, a, yeah. a reason why there is so many of these attacks is because a lot of these very important pieces of infrastructure are highly visible and really mm-hmm. only protected by a chain link fence. So yeah. in a lot of cases, an attack can be carried out without even entering any kind of restricted grounds. You can yeah. sh- point a gun through a chain link fence and, and, and do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, you yeah. can... Yeah, you know, hundreds of yards away, right? It's you very, like, you know, away. a 308, you could be yeah, easily several hundred yards away out of the range of any camera, and you could take enough pot shots to destroy it. It has that kind yeah, of penetrative yeah. power. A 30 at six, you know? Um, yeah, not a hard. Hunting rifle that your granddad has, you know? Would yeah. Be, um, Anyone who shoots elk regularly could do this, you know, yeah, without any, without, true. without any realistic way of catching them if you're out in, a, in an yeah, ur- yeah. a rural area. I'm kind of shocked that these people actually didn't like in terms of like I, I don't know like um there's there's this we can talk about this later but obviously the area they're in has a very high concentration of, of very heavily trained people in unconventional warfare but oh yes we should that is an, that is a factor in North Carolina is yeah. that all of this is occurring on the outskirts of Fort Bragg and a year yeah. ago people who were active duty marines attempted to carry out a similar attack and were not Yeah. Do we want to talk about 
a little bit about that specifically about Robin Sage yeah. or is that too interesting? Yeah. Yeah, because um, I think it's relevant, certainly, like, the first thing I thought when I thought about this area was, like, oh, shit, that's right by Southern Pines. I think maybe the the, mm-hmm. the show was supposed to happen in Southern Pines, which is kind yeah. of central to the United States Army Special Forces community. And a few times a year there, people they- newly qualifying to be SF soldiers will do an exercise called Robin Sage. Um, it's our, It's military LARPing. Yeah, well, like the subs, yeah, yes, it, it's the military doing LARPing, uh, but also not the military, right? So, like, people I'm sure will be familiar, and um, people who enjoy Twitter.com will be familiar in the fact that they, the United States has sometimes helped rebel movements across the world to overthrow governments. That's the thing that it likes yeah. to do. It's, yeah, it's shocking. Uh, they, 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 yeah, they, 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 every revolution, in fact, mm-hmm. has been fomented by the United States and the CIA specifically, mm-hmm. because people can't think for themselves. Um, so, they what they do in Robin Sage is they practice training a rebel movement that's comprised of civilians, right, or untrained fighters. Uh, so these people will go out in small teams, infill, and then they'll meet a bunch of people who are not soldiers. They might be former soldiers. They might be local volunteers. They might be people from the area, um, and they will train them for a few days, right, just like they would if they were actually training up like a guerrilla army, and then they'll mm-hmm. do a simulated attack. Which you might recognize as potentially a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which we now might be seeing as an issue because uh, someone, someone did an attack. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, you have in that area a ton of SF troops, right, um, who span the political spectrum, and a ton of randos who have been trained by SF troops in yeah. guerrilla warfare, right? Unconventional warfare is what they call it. Uh, and if you were doing unconventional warfare... This would be a very effective thing to do, right? That's why there's been this massive panic about cyber attacks on the grid, mm-hmm. especially since the start of the war in Ukraine. Very funny. We panicked about cyber attacks when, in fact, you could just go shoot it. Uh, you, you don't need to be that complex. But that's right. It, it's a weak mm-hmm. point, and and you would know that if you've been practicing unconventional warfare. And so, like this happening in this very specific area. Yeah. Kind of raise some flags for me. It's not super weird that this is the second time in the course of a year that there's been an attempt or a successful attack on North Carolina power infrastructure, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, this is... at the very least, the DHS is, is not surprised about this. Earlier this year, they've, <laughs> no. they, they, they have issued yeah. many alerts warning that domestic violent extremists are, gonna, are, are planning to target the power grid. Um, in February, yeah. three people had to plead guilty, which we already talked about. Um, in, in 2020, there was those people arrested in Idaho. They were planning uh, a- attacks on, on power stations and highlighting, highlighting uh, locations of transformers oh, and yeah. other substations and other power infrastructure and planning to take them out and then using the blackouts to go do other crimes, including assassinating ideological op- opponents. So like there's, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of extra focus on people's plans to do infrastructure attacks and uh, you know, plans on like, Hey, this seems like a problem. And people have been talking about it more, more because it, it does seem to, there is in, at least increasingly high, high, high profile cases. Um, yeah. And at least in the case of this past one in North Carolina, the D- the DHS is currently saying that it does appear to be deliberate, um, and they're in, they're investigating to see if it's it, it, if it is tied to ideological motives. Um, but I, again, it, it is worth emphasizing that not all of these things are are these ty- types of incidents. The, uh, an example of something that I think has been misreported on is this recent attack, uh, or <laughs> it's not an attack, but it's been reported as an attack in South Carolina 
Um, on uh, December 7th, there was an individual in a truck that opened fire near a, a, a Duke Energy facility. Um, employees witnessed this truck pull up. Uh, it was around 5.30 p.m. Uh, this guy opened fire in what appeared to be a long gun and then sped away. No, no one was hurt. There was no outages. There was no reported property damage. Um, and currently, sheriffs are saying that this was a that this was a completely random act that was that wasn't even targeted at the power station. They, they said that the, the only connection between this shooting and the power station was their proximity. This wasn't an actual attack on a power station. This, this was just a coincidence. But because this was a few days after this attack in North Carolina, people can read headlines about yeah. someone shooting outside a power station in South Carolina yeah. and get turn it into this big thing. And you're like, that's actually not what's going on. You need to look a little bit closer. No. It, um, it, it, similarly, with this stuff in Florida, <laughs> uh, you know, there's been a lot of retroactively you know, trying to apply this, 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 um, accelerationist idea onto those, onto those instances as well, when there's simply not the evidence. Yeah. It's, um, one of the things you have to like, as talking about the fat, the folks who are like insurrectionary, one of the force multipliers they have is that the United States has a tremendous amount of people who are just assholes and have guns. Um, (laughs) And that's not just yeah. their own guns, guns they uh, stole from the military. That That is also a factor specifically <laughs> right. so, you know, in North Carolina. Back yeah. to James's point about the proximity to Fort Bragg, though. You know, right? So Fort Bragg and Camp Lejeune, obviously different branches of the military, different parts of the state of North Carolina. But, you know, there was that attack last month that was near Camp Lejeune. We have the Camp Lejeune cell that was wrapped up. Um, they're actually still awaiting trial on the third superseding indictment. And they were stealing um, guns, right? Or at least attempting to. That's how they got caught. guns from yeah. the military. Mm-hmm. The initial indictment yeah. was for um, illegal, for trafficking in illegal guns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. The Marine Corps lost a ton of plastic explosive at 29 Palms uh, last year as well. Like a, a very large amount, which is is concerning. Yeah. A startling quantity of high explosives. Right. And so um, I was combing court yeah. records for anything mentioning Fort Bragg, looking for other cases related to this specific geographical area, because the Moore County is literally right outside Fort Bragg, oh. um, which is where the U.S. Army Special Forces um, are, are hanging out. Um, and so this would not be the first time we had radicalized soldiers out of Fort Bragg. I mean, if you go back to the 80s, Michael Tubbs, a founding member of the League of the South, did his first terrorism when he and some other Special Forces buddies committed armed robbery of machine guns from mm-hmm. the army for the Klan yeah. uh, with the intention of using them to start a race war. Yeah. Uh, but then in August of this year, a special forces soldier uh, named Killian Ryan was indicted for lying on his security <laughs> clearance application. He had already been granted a security clearance, mind you. He had been granted this clearance. Um, but it turns out Ooh, he was a Nazi. I don't know how the security clearance process didn't catch the fact that his email address was <laughs> NaziAce1488 at gmail.com that he registered his phone number. Oopsie doopsie. But they did not catch that. Uh, it, it, yeah. Easy to well, overlook. You know, um, sometimes, sometimes, it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to check. You know, there's <laughs> lots of e- simple <laughs> mistakes that anyone could make. Well, yeah, anybody uh, can make this kind of a scene. So, you know, you see, this wasn't a surprise to DHS, and it shouldn't be. These are their no. mistakes. Um, I also did want to note, as we're talking about these special forces guys and the potential of them being radicalized, uh, there's oh, also- like Timothy McVeigh? I, or, well, Timothy McVeigh was regular army, um, yeah. but- He washed out of special forces. Training. Yeah, he, 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 he didn't quite make it. Um, but- uh, Big stealer uh, of valor. What's his name? Um, yeah. 
Um, yeah, there's the, this is this is like not a uh, um, this is not an uncommon thing. I right? am currently um, writing yeah. a story that includes a large section about a marine that yeah. uh, tried to steal equipment uh, from military bases uh, to then go do a mass shooting at a synagogue. Yeah, um, and this guy has what was a Nazi before he joined the Marines. And this we have is, got this to shut down a... the Marines until we yeah. figure out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> we have got to shut this down yeah. until we figure out what's going on. So true. Um, yeah. yeah, and you've got Eric Rudolph, the guy Money's who going. carried out the Olympic Park bombings in 96, was a was with the 101st Airborne Division. He was an mm-hmm. air assault specialist. Um, and he carried out the bombing of the Olympic Park we... in Atlanta, Georgia, and then went on the run for months, I think. Yeah. And he was a Nazi, by the way. <laughs> oh, it was he was on the run for a long time. His, yeah, it uh, took his autobiography a while. really de- mm-hmm. details all the squirrel and nut yes. eating he did in the woods. Yes. Uh and by the way, he carried out a number of other bombings, including That's a bombing of an that. he carried out a bombing of an abortion clinic. He carried out the bombing of a lesbian bar. Um We talked about yeah. this earlier this year on uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we 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 did Part of one of our many series, we, yeah. we talked about this guy. We had we had we had a whole episode <laughs> dedicated to him. I, I I do want to briefly talk about some of the yeah. stuff happening in the Pacific Northwest as well, and how this mm-hmm. ties in, and how it, there is yeah. a, as opposed to some of the incidents that were like the incident in South Carolina, stuff in the Pacific Northwest, while happening previous to the North Carolina attack, does seem to be deliberate, um, and has and there has been uh, some interesting pieces of information that have come out in the past few days. So. The electrical grid has been physically attacked at least six times in Oregon and Western Washington since mid-November. Attackers used firearms in at least some of the incidents in both states, and some power customers in Oregon and Washington experienced at least brief service disruptions as a result of the attacks. Uh, Just two days before the North Carolina attacks, uh, the FBI and Oregon's Titan Fusion Center issued a memo that warned utilities about about both these recent attacks and how there could be more of them, uh, saying, quote, power companies in Oregon, Washington have reported physical attacks on substations using hand tools, arson, firearms, and metal chains, possibly in response to an online call for attacks on critical infrastructure. Uh, Continuing to say that uh, in recent attacks, criminal actors bypassed security fences by cutting the fence links, lighting nearby fires, shooting equipment from a distance, or throwing objects over the fence and onto the equipment. And the aim, according to the memo, is, quote, violent anti-government criminal attack, uh, which is kind of a catch-all term that these people use for a whole bunch of kind of white supremacist affiliated accelerationist violence it's kind of a silly term because these people really aren't anti-government they just they just want it's a they're they're anti this government because they think this government's too liberal um but but yeah so there was there was an attack on a substation in clackamas county on thanksgiving morning the power company calls this a deliberate physical attack um this, this is the one where two people cut through fences and use firearms to shoot up and disable numerous pieces of, of equipment. Uh, a, a security specialist for the company wrote this kind of brief on it and 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 has t- mentioned how that there are local people who are affiliated with, you know, larger networks of extremist groups that have called for s- such attacks and have provided instructions on how to do these types of things. Um, and saying, quote, there's been a significant uptick in incidents of break-ins related to copper and tool or materials theft, but now we are dealing oh, with yeah. quickly escalating incidents of sabotage. 
Um, so that's the kind of that's that's the brief from the the security security specialist who works at this power company. Um, four days after that Thanksgiving morning attack, there was another incident at a Portland General Electric substation, also in the Clackamas area. So these things happened pretty close to one another. They're in in the same county. Some of the same people were affected. A uh, few details on this one have been released. Um, but the PG&E team said that, uh, quote, our teams have assessed the damage and have began to repair the impacted facilities. Knocking out the lights is it can be an end goal, right? That everyone it's it's dark and everyone's inconvenienced. And there's an idea that, you know, making things worse will help fence sitters radicalize towards towards the right and yes. become accelerationists yeah. Yeah, themselves. Yeah. But the darkness, it's not its own end goal for some of these people, you know, in the um, the Camp Lejeune cell, in the Collins case. They specifically spelled out in some of their planning discussions that the darkness was step one. Once the lights were out, once um, infrastructure was damaged, the police were distracted, communications were down, people couldn't use their cell phones. They would use that period of chaos to carry out a series of targeted assassinations. Yeah, And that's not a new idea either. Um, I found a case from the 90s, even. Um, this case from the late 90s, the North American Militia. It was a splinter group from the Michigan Militia Wolverines. Uh, Randy Graham and Ken Carter went down in this case. Um, they were reconning targets, including power stations, TV stations, a military base, federal buildings. Uh, and their plan was to knock out communications and power and use that period of chaos to kill several federal judges and politicians. So this is a recurring theme, you know, that this case was in the 90s. And then we have that recent case, the Collins case. Those guys haven't even been tried yet. Yep. Um, and the stated intention is to use that period of chaos to do additional crimes of terrorism. And I mean, there has been more incidents that definitely do seem to be intentional, like uh, beyond the ones in Oregon. There was also ones in Western Washington um, that, that included setting the control houses on fire, forced entry and sabotage of intricate electrical control systems causing short circuits by tossing chains over the overhead uh, bus work and a ballistic attack with small caliber f firearms. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of stuff going into, uh, uh, yeah. of like, like in terms of like yeah, planning and preparation going into something that's happening, that's a perfect example. Yeah. And if you're, as a general rule, if you are encountering one of these stories and you're trying to determine, should I put this in my head as something that is maybe part of something bigger or something that might be people fucking around. That's the kind of stuff to look for is like how much effort went into it. How elaborate was it? Does it seem like planning was involved? I would say another thing is like, does it seem, is it timed for something like Thanksgiving, right? Like it's not an accident that they picked Thanksgiving to attack a substation because if you're trying to do something that's going to have an impact, doing it on a day like that where everybody's at home, people are, and there's also a higher power draw in general, like there's a lot of reasons why someone would want to do that, but it all points towards this is something that's part of an organized uh, set of actions as opposed to the normal thing of Americans attacking their own power infrastructure for no good reason. Yeah. Which we love to do. We do. Do, do, you know, do you know what else we, we love to do, Robert? Consume goods and services, Gareth? Mm -hmm. That's right. We love, we love yeah. consumption. Like honks. Yeah. And our hero-based Lasso King would say that's part of the problem. Hey, we're back. Uh, all right, Garrison, take us, take us home, which hopefully is not Fort Bragg. No, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pivot. This podcast is run by the uh, user sock. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully not. So, so yeah, the, the the past year we've seen federal authorities multiple times warn about these types of threats to critical infrastructure. 
There was a local uh, bulletin posted in, in late November after the attacks in Oregon and Washington uh, saying that uh, the targets of potential violence includes uh, public gatherings, faith-based institutions, LGBTQ plus communities, um, uh, schools, uh, racial and religious minorities, government facilities and personnel and U.S. critical infrastructure. So it's it's definitely it's definitely something that are that people are talking about more as incidents have have do do seem to be getting more common. Um, I'm, now I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna use some of the research from a, uh, an, not an article, but I, I guess not quite a study, like this, uh, I don't know how to describe it, uh, in an analysis piece, I guess, from George Washington University's program on extremism, entitled uh, Mayhem, Murder, and Misdirection, Violent Extremist Attack Plots Against Critical Infrastructure in the United States. So since 2019, white supremacist attacks uh, and plots against critical infrastructure uh, do seem to have uh, distinctly increased. Between 2016 and 2022, white supremacist plots targeting energy systems dramatically increased in their frequency. Uh, 13 individuals associated with the overall white supremacist movement were arrested and charged in federal court with planning attacks on the energy sector. Um, 11 of these attack planners were charged after 2020. Uh, the rise of accelerationist ideology and doctrine during the past decade did likely fuel these increased attacks um, within the white supremacist milieus that are targeting critical infrastructure and, and the energy sector in particular. So if, if you look at the data from 2016 to 2022, if you look at 94 cases of individuals who are alleged to have planned, quote, violent extremist attacks, 59% uh, of those people were identified as white supremacists and 37% of those incidents involved some level of planning uh, specifically planning attacks on critical infrastructure. Now, six of those 16 white supremacist plotters had uh, uh, discernible, tangible connections to named groups and organizations like the base, Adam Waffen Division, and the National Socialist Movement. And but and 14 out of the 16 uh, uh, people were known participants in a greater kind of online network that uh, connects various like cells or even just aesthetic styles uh, common among the neo-Nazi accelerationist movement. So, and uh, one of the more kind of uh, interesting data points is the number of white supremacist plots that are specifically focused on the energy sector, uh, related to nuclear reactors, materials, um, with the waste sector, and of course, pa power substations. Uh, thir there's 13, 13 cases of individuals who uh, reportedly planned to conduct attacks on a variety of, of energy infrastructure from small assaults on local on local power lines to potentially devastating attacks on power grids or even nuclear facilities. And uh, and uh, those represent 87% of the white supremacist-related cases in which critical infrastructure was targeted. So most of that is specifically on power grids. Like, that's, that, is, that is what these uh, focus on. And the first case within this data point range of 2016 to 2022 uh, dates back to 2017 when a former Florida National Guardsman and the founder of uh, Adam Waffen Division was arrested in Florida and charged with um, you know, unlawful possession of explosive devices and explosive materials. Uh, they uh, this, one of one of one of this guy's roommates, who was also a f uh, a member of Adam Waffen, told uh, told jurors that this guy intended to target a number of different locations for explosive attacks using this material, including a Jewish synagogue, power lines, and a new and a nearby nuclear reactor site. Um, and this guy in his apartment had had uh, propaganda and and book materials 
on the functioning of nuclear reactors and other uh, power supply stuff. So like, you know, it's these types of things that people study on and then plan out to do. And what we're seeing more commonly now is a very intensive propaganda team putting together kind of manuals on how to do these types of things, both both like in, both for like to inspire you to do it, but also like instruction manuals. And so like here's here's where you should shoot. Here's like here's how to actually do it. And it's it's they're unfortunately designed quite well. Oh um, yeah. And that's something that is newer. Uh, that is a, a a direct product of the types of aesthetically driven uh, uh, propaganda that has flourished on sites like Telegram, and they're they're getting quite good at making propaganda. It's not just it's it's not just you know random yeah. random books strewn upon your apartment anymore. It's very well made documents on how to and do that's this that you can download online. So the the three the three men who just pleaded guilty in February for their their conspiracy to attack um, power facilities, um, one of those men, Jackson Saywall, in the um in the original complaint, it says you know, um, Cook had re- recruited his friend Saywall to join the cause. From the outset, Cook believed Saywall's graphic design skills could be an asset to the group's propaganda effort. Yep. So he was recruited to the cell because he was good at graphic design. Now, I've read these manifestos. I would not say the graphic design is good, but it's certainly better than sort of a cut and paste scene, right? If there's yeah. a clear digital design element yeah. here. Um, and that's on purpose. And they know that that's how they're going to get eyes on this stuff. I mean, Robert, we, we both read all those manifestos in the last couple of days. Yep. They are certainly a step up. They are what they what they make me think of is when I first when I first got into reporting on extremism, it was because I went through every issue of like ISIS's magazine Dabiq right after the yeah. um, the Bataclan attacks, and it's number one like there was when that Adam Waffen guy killed his roommates and it had, he had converted to Islam and was like very much um, into ISIS. There was this like surprise from people who don't think a lot about this stuff. But a lot of these guys had a lot of admiration for the way that ISIS put together their propaganda campaign, which included a lot of very detailed guides for how to do things like carry out rent vehicles and carry out vehicular attacks, right? Like this is, um, you know, we're this is the way terrorism works. And these guys are taking a little bit of a different tact. But again, not that, like as, as Molly pointed out, there were a number of ISIS-inspired attacks on power infrastructure, just didn't get a ton of... Of yeah. of of play, but like none of this is like all of this is is in line with the trends that we have seen globally in the way in which insurgent movements function. Yeah, um, and I think you know yeah. this well produced, easily spread propaganda yeah. and these online networks that they created to spread this propaganda mean that we're not just you know we have these cases of these organized cells that got caught. But it's not just organized cells that have the capacity to carry out these attacks because any idiot in a telegram group can open that manifesto with the detailed instructions for carrying out an identical attack. So and it, this it is called disseminates also, and becomes contagious. There's this there's this people talk about a lot online now about stochastic terrorism. And some of us here might be a little bit to blame to that. But a, a lot of times they're they're getting it wrong um, because what's Shocked. what. What these Nazis are doing, this is inspirational terrorism, which has been a thing for as long as terrorism has existed. Yeah. When Propaganda people, the I mean, that's why they have their calendar of saints, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate about, like, when to use stochastic terrorism. But kind of in my mind, when I tend to think it's appropriate is when the attempt is to kind of use the way algorithms on various sites on the Internet work to spread propaganda that's meant to cause, uh, that's meant to inspire attacks. Because that is, it's a type of inspirational terrorism but it it's it's clearly a new evolution of it 
because of its reliance on those networks. But this is, again, we're getting into the weeds. Is there anything else you yeah. wanted to kind of get into here, Garrison? I mean, no, I, I kind of I kind of wanted to wrap up by talking about some of the Terragram stuff. So I think we, we kind of we kind of hit on a lot of stuff that I that I wanted to mention. I mean, uh, in 2019, two years after that first uh, that 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 first attack in 2017 and two years later, uh, a Bumeri man uh, was was arrested for planning to blow up power grid s- substations. He was a member of Adam Waffen. Um, and we already, we already, we already talked about a whole, we already talked about, uh, the two other kind of main incidents that are well known, uh, from 2020 and then stuff that is, that, that just got, um, uh, uh, uh there was, there, there was court cases as recently as February, 2022, which we also mentioned in terms of the, their, their plans to take out power stations to then carry out assassinations. So th- those are the two other incidents that I wanted to mention. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think the, the the other kind of aesthetic similarity. I think is that I think we actually are seeing some of the, some of the recent Telegram stuff also take cues from not only like uh, ISIS and is- Islamic terrorism, but also some of the types of um, anarchist writing that have that have uh, has gotten more popular since you know, uh, ELF type stuff. Like we're I think we're seeing s- some of some of the aesthetic stylings feels very reminiscent of like early crime think. Um, some of it, some of it is, is similar to things around, um, the types of like eco-sabotage manuals that, that were, that were very popular in the nineties and two thousands. Um, you know, some of the techniques are very similar because both eco-terrorists and, uh, accelerationist Nazis both find value in attacking things like power and, uh, power, power substations, um, or you know, burning down five G towers. That's a big emphasis of this recent, like almost three hundred page uh, manifesto and in, in instruction manual. They focus a lot on how you know, in early twenty twenty, regular people felt inspired to burn down five G towers. People who are not otherwise extremists. And how how do we get people who are regular people to get to that point where they're willing to uh, damage public? infrastructure and that's kind of a lot what a, a lot of what that uh 300 page kind of manifesto slash manual tries to talk about mm-hmm. um anyway it sucks. it's uh, yeah. well, it's, I guess, uh if we yeah. want to end on on a hopeful note i, I think mm-hmm. i have at least sort of a small bright spot for us um it's in the Go original um affidavit for the search warrant into liam collins the the the, the head of the camp lejeune cell um so in that original affidavit for the search warrant, um, in his case, the FBI agent writing the affidavit says that they first started looking into Collins because he was doxxed in the Iron March leaks. Yes. So yes. They were, yeah. we were reading those doxes and they said, oh, wow, a Marine who's a Nazi, we should talk to him. So, you know, when doing this work in identifying these people from these leaks and sort of the, the slog of picking through, like, maybe this guy's a fucking nobody, but we will identify them so that our communities can keep an eye on them. That work matters. That work made it into Newsweek and it made it to the FBI. It's a weird filter system. But eventually this guy got caught before he committed a massive nationwide act of terror. So keep doxing Nazis. In, in it a- works. In a similar incident, there was an officer of the Lafayette Police Department that joined, I, bl- I believe, this mm-hmm. this exact same terrorist cell that was then he doxxed a by witness. He, yeah, he was he was he was doxxed by anti-fascists, and then he turned and snitched on his fellow Nazis. Um, right. 
So the investigation yeah, opened because of a dox and they got a powerful cooperating witness because of another dox. It makes them nervous. If eyes are on them, they can't conduct covert operations. So keep doxing your local Nazis. No, I mean, like it can it can literally be ex- like in, in terms of these cells planning to do assassinations of people. It can actually save people's lives if these people yes. are actually serious and are willing to to carry out their plans that they are, you know, actively training for, actively preparing materials for. Um, this type of work is is some of the most solid anti-fascist research that yeah. people have that yes. people have done. It absolutely saved lives. Yeah, I have no and doubt about that. We'll continue to save lives. So dox Nazis, and you know, if if you're drunk out in the woods and one of your buddies says, "Hey, why don't we shoot a power substation?" <laughs> don't do it. Just shoot cans. Just, Just shoot cans. cans. Yep. Yep. Uh, stop signs. It's a, the American stop pastime. signs. Expired fire extinguishers, those are fun to shoot. Let me You're tell gonna make you. All of the anti civ people turn off this podcast in a fit of rage and then realize that they're listening on a, a phone of soda. and then have a moral crisis. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, to the anti civ people who have built a radio out of sticks <laughs> and then right. realize that podcasts don't come out through the radio. Tragic. Anyway, the episode's over. That's what you think, Robert. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hi, everyone. It's James. I just wanted to explain why you're only going to hear my voice in the first episode, but you're going to hear Garrison in the other episodes as well. Uh, And that's because I went to Tenacious Unicorn Ranch twice, once during the period that we're going to call the siege, and once again in the summer of 2022. And so the part that only I experienced, only I'm going to talk about. We felt that was the most honest way to do it. I hope you enjoy. I have worked on this for a very long time. 
Hardscrabble Pass in Southern Colorado in the winter. It's not where you'd expect to start a story that's fundamentally about the internet. But it's where a four-wheel slid a rental car in the spring of 2021. If you remember back then, Biden had just been inaugurated, some chuds had stormed the Capitol, and vaccines were gradually being administered across the country. Less remarkably, Frontier Airlines were taking forever to find my damn bag, and I was trying to get there before dark. About a week before, I'd seen a tweet. I followed the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch because I grew up as a farm kid who didn't really slide quite as easily as others did into the super macho stuff. And I certainly didn't slide anywhere near conservative politics. What the ranchers were doing, building a queer haven and anarchist alpaca farming co-op, inspired me. I'd been missing country life a lot during the pandemic, and I wanted to get out onto the ranch. But that wasn't really why I was driving an inappropriate rental car through a whiteout. I was doing that because I'd seen this tweet. And that tweet said the ranch was under attack, and they needed help. The tenacious unicorn ranch is under attack by local bigots and militia. They have threatened violence publicly to us and those that help or associate with us. They have encroached on our property, armed, at night, with the intent to harm those of us that live here. We need help. That's where this story starts for me. It's where this story starts for a few characters you're going to hear this week. But it's not where the story really starts. It starts with Penelope Logue, who we'll call Penny, working at a big box store and dealing with increasing transphobia, both online and in person, in the early Trump era. Penny's a veteran and a country girl, and she was looking to get out of the city. Along with her partners, Kat and Jen, she decided to rent some land and set up farming rescued alpacas. So we started in Livermore, Colorado, uh, which is on the whole entire other side of the state. Um, And it really was uh, a reaction to what was happening to the queer community um, not only locally, but kind of what we were seeing nationally when about two years into the Trump presidency, where things were just getting really bleak and dire for the majority of people that we hung out with. Um, we, we were originally going to try to like, just make a, uh, make a bus that was roadworthy and we could live in and just kind of be nomadic, but we couldn't really onboard and help other people that way. Like that was really just, a it would have been of, hard to have the cats we have. On yeah, a bus. yeah. We also had like, <laughs> even at that point we had like four cats. So it was, or two, three cats, whatever. Well, it was, was two lot. at the time, but still yeah. too many for um, us. Well, yeah, and dogs and whatever. So, so we, uh, so I had always wanted to do a homestead and I grew up, uh, farming and ranching. So it was very natural for me. Um, and so we found a ranch that we could rent in Livermore. Um, and me, Kat and Jen, um, just, uh, kind of set out to start somewhere that was a haven for queer people. Um, but also a home for us, you know? It turns out the United States is in something of an alpaca crisis. The animals were once extremely fashionable, and herds popped up all over the West in the 1980s. Now, that generation of alpaca ranchers are aging out of the hard physical labor that makes about every day on a ranch. And their alpacas are often left to their own devices. The unicorns, as the people in the valley call them, adopt these alpacas, which are often neglected, and care for them. They refeed them slowly so they won't die from the bloat that comes from refeeding too fast, and they sell their fiber as yarn. Gradually, with a ton of hard work and a growing community, they built their ranch into a sustainable operation. But as the herd grew, and their unfortunate rental agreement became clearer, they decided they needed a different ranch, and so they moved across the state to Westcliff, 
And it, it was a rented ranch uh, that, that we were trying to rent to own. We thought we were renting to own, actually. Yeah. Um, and then that rug got pulled out from underneath us. Like, they just, they just uh, when we went to purchase it, they were just like, no, uh, you yeah. haven't been renting to own. You've just been renting, and we went an additional $100,000. So yeah. it was like, okay. yeah, right. We had to move right as COVID was getting bad in America. So like March of 2020, that was fun. That was exciting. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. the worst and best move all, all at the same time because the roads were fucking empty. <laughs> like quarantine was in full effect. So the roads were empty. So we were traveling with trailers full of animals on empty roads. And then after like the restrictions lightened and we got used to what like the normal traffic flow was, we were like, fuck this. Like, uh, but it was cool. Like having everything shut down. We couldn't like, the big problem was we couldn't rent anything because every rental place had shut down. And so the, the, really it was like that beginnings of like, the community for, for us, right. It was like, we tapped friends and, you know, comrades to help social media. Yeah. And everybody really stepped up and helped with that move. So it was, it was cool. Westcliff's where I met them. It's a beautiful town in the Sangre de Cristos. In the summer, it's full of tourists taking weekend trips to the mountains and eating ice cream. And in the winter, it's quiet, snow covered, beautiful, and absolutely freezing. In March of 2021, I drove through to town in the afternoon, in what I figured was an inconspicuous map. Everyone else who visited the ranch that month had picked up a tail. Aside from a few strange looks, I think I got through okay. I took a long, lonely, winding road through the valley and then turned down a dirt road toward the ranch. Penny met me at the gate, in a plate carrier with a rifle. We briefly hugged, and then I quickly parked my car outside the dome that the growing queer community at the ranch called home. It was a profoundly strange experience. Inside the house was full of warmth, conversation and laughter. People enjoying each other's company and enjoying being out of the biting wind and snow. Outside was cold. We wore plate carriers and the ranchers carried long guns. I carried a camera, a GoPro and an IFAC. And then, dressed in battle rattle, we broke the ice on the alpaca drinking tanks and tried to stop the recently adopted animals from refeeding too quickly. I walked and talked with Penny and Jay, another of the unicorns whose story we'll get to later, about the stress that the increasing threats to them had had on them. But first, we met the animals. We have sheep, we have goats, we have, of course, alpaca, we have ducks and chickens, um, day-to-day... Doggos. Do- yeah, Lots we have of dogs. Five Pyrenees, which are livestock guardian dogs, uh, and a couple of... Uh, Blue healers, rescues, um, and my dog, Starbuck, and... Eight kitties. Oh, yeah, eight, eight cats. Yep. Um, but the vast, vast majority are the alpacas. Yeah. It might sound idyllic, and in many ways it is idyllic, but the work on the ranch never stops, and sick alpaca need tending to almost constantly, even during the siege, which we will get to soon, I promise. There was a lot that volunteers could help with, but animal husbandry wasn't on the list. So even after long nights patrolling their ranch, cold and afraid, Penny and Jay often had to take it in turns looking after old animals with bloat as they laboured to breathe. Here's one that I recorded. Um, can you set that down and help me stand her up? Because we're just going to see if we can get her to walk. All right, if you'll run it. Okay. I know, I know, I know. 
There you go. There you go. My filter are burping. Good. Mix that baking soda in there. Oh. Gotta walk, baby. That's part of this. I know. That's part of this, though. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, baby. You can't do that. It's all right, love. It's all right. Well, if you're not gonna walk, my love, I gotta do this. I know it hurts. Yeah, okay. Let's get you in the crush. Yeah. There you go. It's okay. There, that's a good burp. Sounded like that was a little bit more movement. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling that they probably didn't even start asking for help until the weakest of their herd was actually dying in the old field. The story about how we got from a thriving and happy ranch community, built on the anarchist principle of mutual aid and solidarity, to what the unicorns called the siege, is a story that's about lies, bigotry, and the internet. But it's hard to think about those things too much at the ranch, because in the two trips I've taken, I felt nothing but incredible sense of love, solidarity, and supportive community. If you've engaged with the story of the ranch at all, perhaps following Tenacious Unicorn Ranch online, it's probably because of the siege. But I don't want this to be a story that's just about guns, bigotry, and community defense. I also want it to be a story about how, long before the siege began, the community at the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch realized that nobody was coming to save them. And so they decided to save themselves. They, they, yeah, sure, they want to kill us, but... And know, they say the it routinely. Gonna, but we're <laughs> the ones with the victim complex. Yeah, but when we, like, call it out, you know, um, i.e., hey, stop killing us. Not even, like, fuck you, just hey, like, could you just, like, lay off the whole killing us thing? Um, could you just, maybe like, follow fuck Jesus' it. teachings right, you and not kill us? <laughs> you fucking, fucking, unapp, like, fucking unsympathetic victim screaming trannies like yeah. it's like oh all right so no is the answer no you can't <laughs> stop killing us good good excellent maybe time to get guns now <laughs> the day i slip slid my way across hard scrabble past in my not so trusty nissan almira was the same day that a gunman walked into a supermarket in boulder colorado and killed 10 people with an ar pistol my social media feed was filled with the sadly all-too-common reactions to these all-too-common mass murders that happen in this country. But the next day, I saw people flooding gun shops in a fear that the state would begin enforcing stricter gun control laws. It didn't. As I edit this draft, another young man, with another gun, has walked into a gay bar in Colorado Springs, about an hour from the ranch. It's an intensely conservative city that hosts focus on the family. You'll know by now that the Club Q shooting resulted in the death of five people, including two trans people, and injured 21 more. I'll be honest with you. It felt a bit weird driving through Colorado to write a story about guns that was broadly positive. And in a sense, it still does today. But the reason this story about guns is positive really has very little to do with guns and everything to do with people. It's really a story about solidarity more than it is about AR-15s. 
but some people will never get past the AR-15s enough to see that. In case you missed it or you caught one of the reports at a time that seemed to skim over the fact that a riotous erupted, we should give an account of the siege up top here so you understand what happened. Understanding why it happened, that's another episode, so for now, just understand that some boomers log into their social media and the queer elimination rhetoric we've reported so much about overlapped with their small community in a valley in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, and this was the result. Things started as they often do these days online, with a throwaway comment about a parade in town. The girls didn't really know that they'd moved into the reddest county in Colorado. At the time, Lauren Bobert was their congressperson. But soon, they started to get an idea of what some people, a pretty small minority of people as it turned out, thought about them. So it started on Facebook, like honestly, like we we started seeing more comments and people getting weird about it. And then there was literally to this day, I will still say it was a fascist fucking parade. You're talking about July 4th, 2020. July 4th, 2020. They had, they did a fascism, like the local fascists did a fascism. And we observed this by accident because we were like, oh, a parade, that doesn't sound interesting. But we did go into town to get some coffee and ran smack into a fascist parade. And, and fascist in, in what what sort of like so presentory fa- things made yeah, you read it as fascist? I mean, fascist in the most like like direct way, like there was Christian nationalist flags, three percenter flags, Confederate flags carried by armed white people screaming about the government and the libs and the queers. Like it was a, they did a fascist. In the footage, there's that one guy with a shirt that says, I know things and own guns or something like that. And shoot things. And shoot things. Yeah. Completely missing the point. I know and shoot things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so like it was a overtly hard right sponsored parade that was supposed to be like hard like that. Like it was like set up as a protest because of the COVID restrictions. They weren't letting people have a parade. And this was their answer to that. Um, And so really all we did was call that out on Twitter. We were like, wow, like there's a fascist parade in West Clifton. We'll come back to this parade next episode. It's organized by a local newspaper, which is, to be perfectly frank, the most batshit crazy boomer brainworm thing I've ever seen in print. It was an open carry event, where militias from across the US come to open carry unloaded guns for reasons that we can't really pin down. Soon, the unicorns calling out the parade on Twitter set keyboard fingers clicking. I've said fingers here, but... These people give off a distinct single finger typing vibe, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah. We started, the first thing that we noticed was the tails. We started getting tailed from points that we, everybody, Frequent. that we were very public about frequenting, uh, like Peregrine Coffee and Chappies. We started getting, picking up tails uh, from those points routinely. Um and that so like people like following you yeah yeah not very, in, like, not very covertly in the same three vehicles and they wouldn't just follow us anyone that they figured out knew us the, yeah start anybody that well. announced on any social media platform that they yeah. were coming to see us they would then follow and then it really got it became super into the physical world when nine news well nine news did a piece on us in which the sheriff's department came up because they were mass reporting us for animal abuse. A lot of the harassment came from a website you're probably familiar with now, but maybe you wouldn't have been back then. 
Kiwi, it might have been Kiwi, Kiwi Farms. Kiwi Farms part, and locals. Yeah. You don't have to say their names. Yeah, if we could blank well, out. So, mm. I, so, locals, no, I just like just the But it's one of those things where like cis people don't even know that Kiwi Farms exists, and yeah. more people need to fucking know because it's 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 ridiculous. At some point, yeah. they already like, harass us. We've done a couple yeah. of episodes. I don't want to give farms. them attention, yeah. but like I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you think is best. That is worth mentioning. I think. Yeah, it's an entire forum dedicated to harassing. Trans people that get any sort of popularity, ruining their lives as best they can with the stated goal of making trans people kill themselves. Yeah, and it's a, there's a lot of members like like yeah. like, like notable turfs are part of it. Like 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 everyone has found this website now, and it, it, mm. people need to know it at least exists. Yeah, it exists. it's a truly awful cesspool of. They spend all like, of their time obsessing over yeah, trans yeah. people. It seems like it's worth naming them, but please save yourself the time and don't click over there. It's nothing good. Soon things got more real. A local news reporter who covered the ranch got a parcel with a white powder in it. That powder wasn't deadly, but it was a real threat. Soon, that threat came to the ranch. The Nine News reporter thing happened, and then we started getting, like, warnings from people that were monitoring uh, chat rooms. Like, they were like, oh, hey, like, the chatter about y'all has skyrocketed, and, like, it is blatant like people making plans to burn your home down and kill you like uh, and locals started warning us that like hey this has happened before you got to get ready this is real don't they have run don't out be pre- other people out yeah of town. like don't yeah. be pretendsy about this like we're being serious and so me and jay started for about two weeks we were walking patrols around uh the perimeter the unicorns were afraid so they took steps to defend themselves lots of the people at the ranch like Jen and Kat, who you can hear in this interview, didn't want to carry guns. Penny and Jay had some military experience, and they knew how to use and carry guns. So every night, they set out walking the perimeter to watch for intruders. On their property line patrols, they realised that there were people out there at the night, looking back at them. That night is when me and Jay came back from that and put out a very heartfelt cry on Twitter. Like, we don't know what the fuck to do. We're terrified, and any help would be amazing. They were armed at this point, but they weren't ready for a gunfight. That's a very different thing. Sadly, though, the gunfight they weren't ready for wasn't going to wait until they were. Yeah, armed. Um, rudimentally armed, by the way. Like, Jay had a hunting rifle. No, yeah. a shotgun at that oh, point. Yeah, yeah, that, that one was um, And I had my uh, Springfield AR. Uh, And so we scared them off, but like that made it like clear and present for us. And so we put a heartfelt call out onto Twitter um, and Aldo was up here like the next day and caught people on the property that night. Like it was armed people on the property, multiple people. Aldo arrived the next day, spurred on by that same tweet I'd seen. This isn't his voice, but they are his words. We won't say too much about him other than that he has significant experience with this kind of thing, and he spent his own time and money to drive across the West to help some queer folks he'd never met who just wanted to raise alpacas and be left the fuck alone. I saw a post on Twitter from someone else boosting the original Tenacious Unicorn Ranch plea for help. I reached out to them, and after some back and forth and letting them vet me, we agreed I would drive down to help them out. I took a little time to do some map studies of the area and confirm some suspicions about local law enforcement. The sheriff at the time had publicly spoken at and supported Oath Keepers rallies as a keynote speaker alongside Stuart Rhodes, as well as other prominent Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. The cops haven't ever been much of an option in keeping marginalized people safe, but this was on a whole other level. 
I called some people to tell them I was heading to Tenacious Unicorn Ranch for accountability's sake. At the time, I was binging an unhealthy amount of Letterkenny, and when one of them asked me why I was driving six to seven hours to help total strangers, the first thing I thought was, when a friend asks for help, you help them. Other gave us his account of what happens. Again, for everyone's safety, we're not going to use his voice, but that night, he patrolled the perimeter after nearly being run off the road on the way to the ranch. He said at first when he saw the tweets, he thought Penny and Jay were overreacting. But after that tale, and after what happened that night, he knew something very strange was going on. So, on arrival at the hard-packed road off the highway, there were two cars on the other side of the highway from the intersection, backed in with their headlights off. There was an old Durango and a truck that I couldn't make the model of on the other side of that Durango. Once I turned down the road, probably 200 yards after turning, I looked back and saw one of them turn on their headlights and start gaining on me until they were tailgating. I started to slow and pull over to see if they would pass, and they slowed and stuck with me. I had a suspicion about the two cars initially, and this was confirmation. I can't really say how fast we started going, but I know it was significant enough that I was starting to oversteer and lose traction on the back end of my car on turns. I knew Penny and the rest were waiting at the property gate, so I signaled Penny to say, hey, I got a tail, keep the gate locked, you'll see me driving by, tell me what vehicle is following me. The vehicle slowed down as we approached the gate, so it appeared they may have been anticipating me to do the same. Once I passed the gate, they continued to follow. It turns out it was the Durango, which I later found out had been doing drive-bys of the property the past couple of days. The Durango quickly realized what Aldo was doing and pursued him past the ranch, further down that snowy dirt road. After I passed the ranch, I accelerated a little more to create some distance and drove to a spot that I had seen on the map on the way down that looked like I could effectively turn around without extra maneuvering. As I turned around, they had closed the gap and started to slow. Once they were pulling up next to me, I turned my high lumen carry light on them to at least disorient or overstimulate them with bright white light and try to catch faces. The windows had a dark tint, so it was not feasible. My other goal was trying to convey, I see you and I have the advantage, without actually visually threatening them. The driver had been rolling their window down until I put that light in the window, then immediately stopped and rolled it back up. At that point, it was apparently enough to make them decide it wasn't worth it and take off. I legally carry a sidearm with me the majority of the time and had it on me. I had my hand on it, but didn't feel the need to draw it during that encounter. In the two minutes since he turned off the hard top, Aldo's ideas about what he was in for had pivoted almost as fast as his car did in that pullout. Earlier on, while driving to the ranch from my house, I had the thought, you know, this is probably bullshit and a bit of an overreaction on their part. So maybe at least I can de-escalate some of their anxiety and give them some rest. This will probably just be a lot of nothing. Clearly, I was mistaken. And after that encounter, my mind was very much reoriented to the present reality. Driving through the gate, I had to prepare myself to the new possibility of actual exigency. And I thought, oh shit, there's something to this. Well, pitter-patter, motherfuckers. Aldo sent a message to Penny, saying that he was free of his tail, and she opened up the gate. Quickly, he drove up the same dirt road I did a few days later to the dome, where the scared and sleep-deprived unicorns were hiding from the cold and from the same people who had just tailed him down the dirt road. Once at the house, we made introductions, and I explained that a trusted source had boosted their call for help, and I was willing to drive over to see what, if anything, I could do to offer them in the form of assistance. They gave me situational awareness of the property, who lived there, etc., then went over what had been happening up until my arrival. The local harassment, people following them and doing drive-bys of their property, the Kiwi Farms threats of, quote, burning them out of their home, they had also mentioned there was a probing incident a couple nights before that had really set them off when they caught another unknown individual probing their fence on the southern side of the ranch. 
They detailed how they hadn't slept for almost 48 hours since that incident, which had prompted their call for help. I could tell they were just done mentally, emotionally, physically, but still keeping it together. So I said something to the effect of, you've done a great job, go get some rest, I'll stay up and take the watch. That was around 9 p.m. The crew went to get some deserved rest, and I got ready to go out. Before stepping back outside, I had to ask myself, what the actual fuck is going on? I walked outside, grabbed my rifle and plates, put on some extra layers of warm clothes, and got ready for what turned out to be a long night. Quickly, as the unicorn slept, Ada got to work making a plan to keep the property and the people there safe. Having never been on the property, I went ahead and, to the best of my ability, in the dark, started estimating distances, high, low ground, points of opportunity, weakness, cover, concealment, hazards, and any other unclear backdrops like the other residences that I had needed to be aware of. That all came into play later. Based off what I found, my best guesses, I started working a patrol on foot covering the areas I thought were vulnerable and most likely for incursion. The roadside seemed like the most likely point of opportunity for them since there was no barbed wire and a single low wire fence being the only barrier to entry on the property. Pretty quickly things got weird. At around 21.30, I heard the first vehicle pass by. There was decent moonlight at the time and I could see that it matched the shape and size of the Durango. They were driving by with their lights off, slow rolling, and had made a stop about halfway down the property line on the roadway. They repeated this multiple times, so this kind of confirmed my theory they would go for the easiest point of access off the roadway. The drive-bys continued sporadically, and twice from high point on property, I watched them turn their headlights back on, heading toward the highway, and stop on the hard pack, where another vehicle could be seen sitting with its headlights on. Aldo is pretty experienced in this scenario. So is Paul, another of the defenders who came a few days later. And it's not my first rodeo with these things either, but that doesn't mean it wasn't scary for all of us, but especially for Aldo, who arrived first and was patrolling a small farm he'd never seen, facing attacks from an unknown number of armed assailants. I can't remember how many times I wish I had my NVGs with me for better situational awareness, but they had been sent off for repairs, so I relied heavily on the moonlight, which there was a decent amount of. Not ideal doing a foot patrol on your own in the dark with an unknown number of people. Multiple times I thought, I should get one of them up. There's way more ground than I can safely cover. I don't know the terrain well enough, and doing this alone is fucking dumb if this turns bad. But of course, I ignored that intuition and told myself, okay, I'm overthinking this right now. These dudes are just trying to fuck with the queers, and this is purely intimidation. I'm just going to keep working the vulnerable areas, watch them play their dumb bullshit games, and let the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch folks rest. Besides, at the time, I didn't know the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch folks before that night. While they did great with what they had available to them, I had no idea how they would respond in a shit-hit-the-fan situation, what their personal capabilities were, if they could be relied on for team movements, and didn't want to risk relying on someone running on fumes. So I said, fuck it. It'll be fine. His fears, as it turned out, were more than justified. A little before midnight, cloud cover came in while I was walking along the west fence line and saw what I assumed was a dim flashlight or a cell phone light flash about halfway along the north fence line by the road. And about 15 to 20 seconds later, another flash, making me think that they were moving west towards the ranch gate. It was the first time I noticed anyone on foot, so I started slowly working my way down quietly to see if I could get closer for a good visual on who it was walking the roadway since the moonlight went away. I stopped about 40 or so yards from the gate and squatted down low to reduce my profile and just watch. After about 10 minutes, I heard quiet voices and then a very distinct Earl from the man that appeared and turned to call out after he activated the gate's motion-sensing light. 
I remember I had to stop myself from laughing from them not only having such shitty discipline, but also at what was a perfectly comical chud name. I stood up and watched another dude come out of the dark into the light of the ranch gate, who very much had the build of an earl. The first guy began lifting and pulling at the gate lock and chain, while Earl was trying to cover the motion-sensing light. They stood at the gate, and I could hear them whispering for about a minute before I got annoyed at just how dumb they were, and how they didn't notice me creeping closer to them while they were doing all this. Finally, from around 15 yards, I went ahead and lit up the two males with my flashlight, who both had their faces covered in no visible weapons. In a fairly sarcastic voice, I said something to the effect of, Hey, what are you idiots doing? Stop playing with the gate. Go away. It worked. I didn't really feel I had much recourse other than to give a verbal warning at that point because they were still technically not on the ranch property and they had not made any visible attempts to trespass or do any property damage. Both of them ran off in the most awkward, non-athletic way you could think of. I didn't see anyone else in the area, so I approached the road to watch them jump into a car and drive off. I kind of laughed at myself and remember saying out loud, God, you guys are impressively stupid. Okay, they're probing the property now. I realized these guys weren't working at a higher operational capability. I also felt a little more comfortable that even though I didn't have my NVGs to work in the dark environment, they didn't either. After staying out for another 30 minutes to make sure they were taking a break, I went back inside to warm up for a few minutes, get some food, and change my socks after it seemed they had maybe gone and reconvened after they got caught trying to tamper with the gate. I turned off the lights inside the house that were visible from the road so I wouldn't be visible, and also just to see if that might make someone tempted to believe the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch folks had turned in for the night. Things were quiet for the next hour or so. While out walking close to the east fence line toward the road, I remember a fox letting out a scream from less than 100 feet away from me. That honestly was more startling than all the other events from the night up until then. If you haven't heard a fox screaming, it does indeed sound like someone being murdered in the most brutal way possible. I heard a fox, probably the same fox a few nights later on the ranch. Even in the midst of the siege, it was still a working ranch. And so as well as protecting people from violence, the ranchers and their pony and mountain dogs also had to make sure they were protecting the chickens from foxes. Sadly though, foxes weren't the only visitors that night. A few hours later, a much more serious threat emerged. The night continued to be quiet for the next while, and I decided to move along the east side of the property line. The cloud cover broke around 2.15, and I could see some movement and hear low voices again. I got low and held my position since it was fairly safe and could make out two figures walking towards me inside the property boundary. I waited until they were about 30 or so yards away and I was pretty sure there were no others working flanks before using my rifle light to begin the process of PID and figuring out if they were armed. As soon as I saw them, I noticed they were both armed, one with an AR with no optics and the other with an M1A with optics on it. I realized that while I had the high ground, I was not comfortable with the backdrops due to the house across the road potentially being in line with my firing position, and started shifting to a safer spot in case the confrontation escalated into an engagement. I called out my first command while moving to a better position to their left side. You are trespassing on private property. Slowly place your weapons on the ground and show me your hands. Do it now. The two men froze in place, but did not comply. And I recognized in that moment that these were two different men than who I had seen earlier. I called out again. Drop your weapons or I will fire on you. Do it now. As soon as I finished that sentence, they both looked at each other with their rifles in low ready, turned to the right, and ran. I pursued them so that I wouldn't lose the advantage I had and to make sure there was no way they could make it uphill towards the house or get into a more advantageous firing position if they decided to turn on me. While parallel to them so I could keep on the uphill side, I called out, Stop and place your weapons on the ground. Realizing there might be others out there watching my light move, I turned it off so I wasn't such an obvious target. 
and made short bursts at the two men fleeing so that I could maintain a visual on them. It wasn't an ideal way to handle it, but this was all an incredibly unideal situation to begin with. After sustaining a fast-paced run over uneven terrain and somehow not falling on my face, I realized we were moving toward the fence line and quickly looked around with my light to make sure no one else was waiting for them and also armed. At that point, I turned my light back on them and they both pivoted directly to the fence since we were still some distance from the gate where it appeared they were heading toward. The first one with the M1A pushed the fence down and hopped over. The second one panicked and with both hands tossed his AR across the small ditch on the other side of the fence and I watched it fly halfway across the road while he struggled over the fence. He scurried over and kicked his rifle across the road before picking it up and disappeared with the other male into the small ravine on the other side. I realized I was disadvantaged where I was located and repositioned to a small rocky mountain nearby so that I could at least get prone and have some cover if they decided to fire on me. I laid there and recovered my breath for a minute or so watching to see if anyone else was out there and then moved toward the house to make sure there weren't other incursions I may have missed while occupied with the other two who disappeared. After trying and failing for a second time, it seems that the local bigots took a break for the evening, but Aldo and the unicorns couldn't. That was it for the rest of the night. I did go back down and find their entry point where the fence had been newly damaged and bent inward and tracks leading over the patchy snow from the roadway. Then I walked back to their egress point where the fence had been bent outward. Everything that occurred that night was clearly a hostile incursion and they demonstrated intent to harm others on their own property. The only reason that didn't happen is because we were armed and prepared. I think they realized at that point that the ranch was not a soft target and the occupants these men painted as weak were in fact hard people willing to protect themselves and stand up against their aggression. More importantly, the residents of the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch just wanted to be left the fuck alone. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. 
Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. It was a couple of days after Aldo had its run-in with the locals when I arrived. Everyone was on edge, and everywhere we went, it was with guns. So I remember there was a point when I was here, which was like a week or so after the uh, Aldo ran those guys off, that like we were going out somewhere, and some folks were like, "Well, can someone who is comfortable using a gun stay behind?" Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. what it was at. Like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Because not all of us like want to or can. Like I, I can't. I'm too scared of guns. Like I, I recognize that they're very important. I'm glad I, I'm surrounded by people who can like defend me, but. Um, and I think that's important to like allow space for that too. Yeah. 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 What Kat is saying there is really important, not just for this story, but for folks listening to this and thinking, Oh fuck, I need to get guns. If you want to get guns, go ahead and get some, if you can safely and legally, but what you need is community. Everyone at the ranch works hard every day to keep their project going. Sometimes that's with a gun. Most of the time it's with a sack of crunchy alpaca food or sometimes with a keyboard. The community that sustains the ranch is much bigger than the people on the ground. And it's a great illustration of the power of solidarity to sustain a project which, in times like today's, the world really needs. Today, hundreds of queer people visit the ranch every year for hundreds of different reasons. Kat takes care of the ranch's visitors and manages social media. Jen helps administer a Patreon account for the ranch, complete with daily alpaca photos and updates on events. When I arrived at the ranch in 2021, it became pretty clear that I wasn't the only one who'd seen the tweet. Paul and Aldo both have backgrounds in combat arms. Both of them fought in wars they now don't think were a great idea, and both of them were willing to use the skills the state gave them to protect people who the state wouldn't. Paul, like Aldo and I, came because of a tweet. I saw Aldo tweet like a stop sign or something, and it said, you know, a few years ago, I never would have imagined being on like a transgender anarchist alpaca farm but here i am and i think i dm'd him or something i was like what the fuck are you talking about yeah and uh we ended up signal chatting and um he explained what was happening and what had happened uh the day he was there or one of the days he was there and i was like oh wow that sounds super fucked up hey i'm gonna book a a, a flight before Aldo left, they picked up another tale. We went into Westcliff, the closest town for something, I think just to the gas station. And when we, when we came back down at the Query, down by the airport, which is like three or four miles down the road towards the, the town, two to three vehicles pulled out and started following us. And one of them pulled down the road the ranch is on, and we, we just drove straight. And then they followed us, and we turned around two or three roads down, and then the third vehicle that had been waiting now was waiting for us to come back and pull in. Mm. So like well, they, they were trying very hard to tail anyone and get like identifying information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I arrived, Paul and I slept in the guard trailer. Well, I slept. Paul stayed up all night walking patrols and keeping an eye on the fence line. If you're familiar with Hey Duke and Edward Abbey's eco-anarchist novel The Monkey Wrench Gang, 
That's a pretty good way to envision Paul, albeit without the misogyny and racism that makes it pretty hard to have any respect for that book or its author. Throughout the night, I check in on Paul. It wasn't a large trailer. And when I did, I'd look through his night vision at the strange movement in the fields around the ranch. People seem to huddle behind a pickup, and they use the headlights to try and blind us. Night vision doesn't really work that way anymore, but they moved around throughout the night thinking that we couldn't see them, staging in different areas on the ridge above us, with a commanding field of view, and presumably a field of fire as well. We assumed they were trying to watch us as we sat there watching them. It was actually pretty fascinating. Um, (laughs) So a house that happens to be visible from the ranch, or another property that's visible from, from the hilltop that the ranch is on here, like every evening it would start to get dark out and then like 15 or 20 cars would show up. Oh yeah. It was like 15 to 20 cars. Which has never happened since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like 15 to 20 cars would show up and um, I can't remember what precipitated it, but the second night I was here, Oh, I know what it was. Somebody had walked their dog and I happened to kind of meet them down by the gate because they were walking up the road it was like two o'clock in the morning during a blizzard. And I was like, this is very unusual. So I met them down there and um, I happened to have like night vision gear and they, it was obviously like from them because from that point on, they would actually point vehicles at the ranch with their headlights on the entire night uh, from some properties that are closer to the highway, which like, is semi-effective. It makes this bloom for 15 feet around that vehicle, but then everything else you can just see. So it didn't matter. Inside the house, it got harder and harder to move over the course of the next few days. A support came flooding in. There were thousands of rounds of ammunition, plate carriers, plates, the kind that stop bullets and boxes of first aid supplies. One day, Paul and I sat around staging first aid kits, unwrapping and preparing the products to make them easier to use. People messaged every day volunteering to help. And we looked them up using some background check websites they often use for work to check that they weren't charged trying to infiltrate the ranch. Yeah, the the amount of support that we've seen is largely absurd. Like, I I would have never guessed that, like, people would have come out this hard for us. Yeah. Yeah. It must be nice to know that, like, everybody fucking wants you to succeed. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, it gets us through. Like, you can't troll me. Yeah, no, like, they, just like, there, there are no haters that can get to us because right? of how much support that we know is out there, not only right? um, locally, but internationally. For fuck's sake, like, internationally. Like, we have people from all over the world that have, like, taken a moment to be like, what can I do? Like, what do you need right now? Like, and that is just like, you can't troll that out of me. Like, there is nothing you can say that I can't be like, yeah, but also, I've got 12 people who would kill you for me, so I don't know, like, fuck you. (laughs) The ranch became something of a core celebre on the arm left. The outpouring of support was incredible. In March of 2021, we all probably felt a little bit helpless. A summer of uprising and revolt had yielded a new geriatric white dude in charge. COVID was still raging, and the cops had shown less anger at thousands of church storming Congress than they did at kids holding Black Lives Matter placards in the street. In a time when it was difficult to feel powerful, the ranch openly defying attempt to scare them out of the valley gave people a sense of success, and they were more than willing to show up and help. 
So, yeah, I want to talk about that because you guys attempted to basically stock up on firearms at a time in American history when that may have been hardest and most expensive. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> what sort of got you through was a lot of people from all over the internet yeah. showing solidarity. Real leftists. <laughs> from all over the world. Like, it was literally all over the world. A lot of anti-fascist organizations. Yeah, we got sent uh, plate, plate carriers. People did runs for ammo. Like people would like buy ammo, like or organize something and get ammo and food and things, and then just drive up, drop it, and leave because you know not everybody's ready to be in like an active zone where you could get shot. Right. But they would do runs up to drop so stuff helpful. off for Holy us. Shit. Like it was crazy, crazy. But that solidarity wasn't just on the internet; it was in the valley as well. Even before the attacks on the ranch began, the unicorns knew they were coming. They knew because people told them. And people told them because they cared about them and wanted them to be safe. They cared about them because, from the outset, the unicorns had made themselves an important part of their community. When the county stopped recycling waste that could be recycled, the unicorns stepped up and volunteered to do it themselves. On my first trip, I joined Penny and Jay for the long drive into Canyon City with a rickety horse trailer full of old beer cans and a truck with a struggling transmission. The money they get paid to recycle the cans is less than the gas they spend getting there. But it's an important thing to do, so they do it. Hey, Garrison here. Now that we have talked about how the siege happened, we need to explain why. At the start of this series, we said that this was a story that was about the internet. And it is. It's a story about how the internet has allowed a section of the American right that's always existed to develop links and gained both power and coherence in the last two decades, thanks largely to online organizing. The story of how these groups got where they are is a long one. It starts with talk radio, with Rush Limbaugh, and then with Glenn Beck, and the gradual drift to Fox News, from bad journalism to outright barking for genocide seven nights a week at prime time. It's a story that we can't tell here, not in its entirety, but we can show you a little of what it looks like when that rhetoric leaves the forums and Facebook comments and lands on the ground in a small town in Colorado. There are two versions of the truth in Westcliff. There's the one that most of you are going to hear, and then there's the one that you can find George Gremlich purveying in his local newspaper, the Sangri de Cristo Sentinel. The Sentinel is probably best summarized as a print version of the Facebook comments from some of your older relatives that you've hopefully long since muted. It's the guy who doesn't know when to stop booming on about Obama at the Thanksgiving table, but in a stream-of-consciousness, unedited print format. We're going to let George lay out what the Sentinel is about in his own words. We didn't get much joy out of trying to speak with him, and not for lack of trying. I approached his office numerous times, uh, knocking on the door and trying to uh, have a good old chat with George. But luckily, he did go on the record for the Texas TL in Exile podcast. 
This kind of spectacular programming, two white dudes shooting the breeze, is certainly a tried-and-true recipe for success in the podcasting space, but you could be forgiven for not having heard of this particular podcast before, uh, because even though we knew about it, it took us forever to even find it on the uh, hit podcasting app, Rumble. Uh, we moved to uh, Custer County from uh, the Adirondack Mountains in northern New York about 12 years ago. And uh, the wife and I were basically uh, political and Second Amendment refugees. Uh, we had a couple of friends who had moved to uh, 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 southern Colorado, and uh, they said that if, uh, uh, the most conservative county, maybe in the state, uh, for certainly in southern Colorado, is Custer County. It's about an hour and a half south of uh, Colorado Springs, high in the Rocky Mountains, uh, population 4,500, um, a ranching community, stunning views, just simply beautiful. Uh, uh, two small towns right in the middle of the, uh, the county, each with about five, 600 people in it, and hardcore conservatives, I'd say. 65% of the county's registered Republicans. But even in his conservative paradise, George found that most folks couldn't live up to his high standards for political engagement. After uh, Obama got elected, uh, his first term, slowly over that four-year period, uh, interest in the Tea Party started to d diminishing as Obama uh, was destroying the country. Um, after he got elected the second time, we had our first meeting uh, since his election in January. And normally at that point, after four years, we were getting 40 to 60 people showing up. At that meeting, only 12 people showed up. And it was doom and gloom. You know, Obama's destroying the country. There's nothing we can do, blah, blah, blah. We started talking local. You know, we got to keep Custer County uh, red. And uh, and uh, and the fact came up, which has been uh, a problem in the county forever, uh, was that the local newspaper and the only newspaper in the county was extremely liberal paper. And we had done research over the years, and we found out that across rural America, this phenomenon was common. That uh, rural uh, counties tended to have liberal papers, and it's just because the libs vegetate to that media, and they know they could have an influence on the population via that. So the meeting, uh, meeting was over, we went home, and on the way home, uh, I turned to Yvonne and said, uh, we're going to start a paper. So uh, next day, I, I, I spent a whole day building a business plan on how to start a Christian conservative newspaper in the rural community. Now, we couldn't find the research that George is talking about, and that's probably because it's not true. What we can find is that 1,300 largely small newspapers closed in the past 15 years. To learn more about the newspaper business in Southern Colorado, we spoke to George's arch-rival, the publisher of the only other publication in the West, or at least the only other one in the Valley. And uh, Jordan Hedberg. Uh, you are the editor of the, the owner and publisher. I'm okay. not, I could barely spell my own name. So <laughs> the publisher of the Wet Mountain Tribune newspaper. Jordan and George aren't exactly best pals, largely thanks to George's attacks on Jordan and his publication. 
we asked Jordan to give us a sense of the competition in the local media market and for his overall thoughts on the Sentinel. I think it's just lies. I mean, that's the problem with the Sentinel. Yeah. I, th- I, I don't see the media space as a zero-sum game. Um, if somebody wants to have a openly conservative newspaper in this town, I, I think there's plenty of readers. Um, it doesn't really compete with me um, because we do just community news, and we always have since 1883, so we've been here for a little while. Wow. But uh, I don't see it as a zero-sum game until you start lying about things because you're in what you perceive to be a power struggle. So that's the problem with the Sentinel. There's, there's no problem with the Sentinel overall other than that they like to tell lies to kind of um, justify their existence. Yeah. Jordan's take on the founding of the Sentinel, whose logo prominently features a bald eagle on the cover, if you hadn't quite picked up on the vibe yet, was a little different. You know, they got started in their minds during the Tea Party movement to combat hyper-liberal newspaper, but they only labeled the Tribune that because they needed an enemy. You know, they were they were very whipped up about Obama getting elected, and um, at the time there had been that Aurora shooting, and so the real reason they really got started was when Colorado put a uh, assault weapons magazine ban into place. So you couldn't have anything that could fire more than 15 rounds um, after the Aurora uh, theater shooting, which was, I guess, 10 years ago this week. Um, so that, that was one of the big things that really got them started was what they felt like an attack on, on weapons. But they did it in a community that's very you know, pro-Second Amendment. I mean, at the time, it was probably 60% Republican. These days, it's 50, but still a majority. Um, even the, the moderates and most Democrats probably have guns and are okay with the idea of that. But uh, they had a much more militant style saying, hey, we should be allowed to arm ourselves with whatever. Um, but again, they still had to create a bunch of lies locally saying that, um, you know, at the time it was the former owner that the Tribune was hyper um, uh, liberal, uh, communist, you know, against guns, which wasn't the truth. Gun rights and the threat of gun confiscation have been a constant source of profitable panic for agitators on the right for decades now. In Westcliff, there doesn't really seem to be much controversy about guns. People who want them, have them, and people who don't, don't. On my drive from the airport to the ranch, I stopped at a couple of gun stores, and I'd seen people lining up to buy magazines, guns, and other things that they'd worried about the government banning, which seems a very odd reaction to a mass murder in your state. But once I got to rural Colorado and past Mantique's gun room, there wasn't really any of that. It was just some old dudes opining about the relative value of different big bore revolvers and an SKS which had been entirely violated by someone's attempt to make it more modern. George, apparently, had seen an earlier mass shooting in Aurora as an opportunity for the liberals and rhinos he so loathed to take away his guns, and an opportunity for him to take a stand against them. He decided to take a stand at a place where no one really disagreed with him, and against a thing that wasn't really happening. But nonetheless, he decided to rally the troops and hold, well, we'll let him describe what he held. About, I don't know, six or seven years ago, TL, the Lipson, Colorado, and Denver passed the uh, gun, uh, gun laws, and they, one of them was uh, the magazine limitation law. And uh, before, it was no limitation, and they passed laws that you can't have any, you can't buy any new magazines with more than 15 rounds in it, but the old ones are grandfathered. Now, 
during the, the legislative session, as you, as you remember, the, the whole state was up in arms about this. I mean, there was demonstrations in Denver. I mean, uh, we were pissed off. And uh, the SOBs passed it. So uh, Westcliff had uh, a July 4th parade that we actually took over. The Central took over after a couple of years. Uh, and, uh, and there's usually maybe 25, 30 floats in it, uh, entries, you know, everything from goats to horses to who knows. No. And, uh, hold on, hold on, George. George, let's dwell on that for a minute. When when I mentioned that I came down there, and you had like five or six hundred people in this parade, um, I think it might have got glossed over. How big are these towns <laughs> to start with? Because it's it's basically a combination of Silvercliff and Westcliff, right? Yeah, each town has about five hundred people. Right, out of five hundred people. <laughs> Out of out of a total of a thousand people, I mean, you you can you can describe it, but describe that to the listeners for a little bit about um, what that parade looks like versus how many people are on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so normally, in uh, the in the Tea Party had an entry, and we usually had maybe fifteen twenty people march down with you know gas and flags and stuff. But that, that, uh, those gun laws, the, uh, mag band, I mean, just energized the Sentinel tremendously. So we decided a couple of months before July 4th that we were going to, uh, turn the Tea Party parade entrance into a Second Amendment protest, uh, entry. So we printed up flyers and, uh, we inundated Southern Colorado, every gun shop, porn shop, everything with, Thousands of flyers come to the West Coast July 4th thing and tell them what part to go to or what place to go to and protest these BS laws and stuff like that. And so, uh, uh, so that morning, the parade starts at 10 o'clock. Uh, we set up shop in front of the, uh, we told the parade organizers that we might have more people coming, so we found a, a field where we could set up, and we set up there, and we had a couple extra, we had three or four extra guys there to check guns. We said, you know, you could bring uh, long rifles, uh, no magazines, they gotta be clear, shoulder uh, uh, carried only, holstered pistols, you know, and we had a whole bunch of people to check for safety and stuff like that. And uh, so we had no idea how many uh, people were gonna show up. And normally there's 25 entries and maybe 150 people in the parade, maybe 200 total. And all of a sudden, uh, on Main Street, where our field was, around 8.30, there was a traffic jam that went down like a mile, both ways. And people were turning into our parking lot field there and going nowhere else. And they kept coming and coming and coming and coming. This went on for an hour and a half. The sheriffs were freaking out. We had over 500 heavily armed citizens there that morning with about 25 military trucks, a deuce and a half, jeeps. We had a, a Korean War half track there with a 50 cow on top, for God's <laughs> sake. Yeah. Jordan, the Tribune publisher, 
source things a little bit differently. So but right before the Sentinel got started, they were like, hey, we're going to advertise. And they did it all across the, the state. They said, bring your big black evil guns to um, Custer County. And the problem is, is, you know, that was the issue. It was, this is a family event. And so ever since then, so what happened was in response, the Republican town council and the Republican chamber of commerce all said, we're not going to have a parade. We, we can't have a bunch of randos showing up right after the Aurora theater shootings, carrying massive amounts of firepower. Um, even if you claim it's unloaded or whatever, we just can't have that for a family event. And so the thing is, is they took out a permit and did the parade themselves. So that's really how things. So 4th of July for them is sort of their anniversary every year. You know, they're very, they, they really consider that whole thing um, to be that way. But um, yeah. that's really what happened. No, and it's a conservative area. There's no bravery yeah. marching yeah. assault rifles through yeah. Custer yeah. County. Now, if they'd done it in downtown Denver where guns are banned, or at least those types of guns, yeah. at least you could say they had a backbone and stood yeah, for you're what taking they a stand, <laughs> but it's not MLK going to Selma. So the it? problem with the Sentinel is the lies. You know, yeah. if they're just a conservative paper, fine. They're allowed to have their opinion. But they tend to tell lies constantly. I, yeah. George had, miraculously managed to turn a mass murder into a sort of pseudo-victory parade for a culture war that he was fighting every day with his newspaper. Soon enough, and largely thanks to this parade, the culture war would be opening a whole new front on the tenacious unicorn ranch. Of course, the Sentinel has opinions about the ranch, and trans folk in general. When we arrived in Westcliff, Gareth and I grabbed a coffee at Peregrine Coffee Roasters, long-term friends at a ranch and supporters of me staying up all night with Paul and then up all day with Penny and Jay. We also grabbed a copy of The Sentinel from the dispenser, pulled up a chair, and started a live reading. Even after a year of me being aware of their rhetoric, it did not disappoint. So I'm, I, just, uh, I'm, I, I just searched the word gender on The Sentinel's website. <laughs> We got a we got an article on social emotional learning, which is basically a, a, the right trying to rebrand their like critical race theory shit, but make it even broader. Um, and we do have an article from January of last year called uh, "Meet the Gun-Toting Tenacious Unicorns in Happy Valley." Let's uh let's click on that and see what the Sentinel has to say. What is this? What is this guy's name? The Eric C- Siegel? Yes, High Country New. Oh, that's the, the, what they've done. They've just played rice piece from High Country News. Oh, so they just stole this yes. from somewhere else. It's worth stopping here to point out that the Sentinel does this a lot. It's not clear if they have permission or not, but they seem to dedicate at least half their print pages to aggregating content that is mostly from the far right of the internet. Notable examples include a really spectacularly racist piece on anti-material rifles, which we will not read, and numerous far-right commentary sites which turn shreds of news into a thousand words of panic-rungering opinion. Anyway, let's see what they have to say about the pretty good article that Eric Siegel wrote about the Unicorn Ranch for High Country News. Note, the, the Sentinel is predominantly featured in this article. Negatively, of course. Hold on to your cowboy hats, fellow patriots. This is one wild ride. For the first time ever, we are warning our readers that the article below is very, very disturbing. In many aspects, it may not be appropriate for some folks or children. Our apologies, but the citizens of this wonderful county need to know how the county has been portrayed. Magnificent stuff. So, apparently, I guess the article is kind of a... It's a relatively positive Yeah, so they, they do have an edit at the uh, bottom that, that the Sentinel wrote based on the article. 
Well, folks, the veil has been lifted. For those of you who haven't seen or experienced left-wing fascism, here it is. From Biden to Polis, and all the way down to this hypocritical bunch of hate-filled xenophobes, they are all the same. Filled with hate, paranoia, self-righteousness, intolerance, and the desire to rule and control, and obsessed with violence. Their radical, narrow-minded view of the world and our rural community is the only allowable viewpoint. All of a sudden, the citizens of Custer County are fascists and Nazis. This fascist rhetoric that George, himself a transplant from outside the valley who has tried to transform local politics, is referring to, is what sparked off the confrontation that brought me, Aldo, and Paul to the ranch last year. Yeah, so that one wasn't even a parade. What it was was a, it was a protest on the 4th of July because during COVID they weren't doing any right parade things. That. Yeah. So they just did this as a protest. Right. And, and so the sheriff and everybody, I mean, you couldn't distinguish it from a, a, a 4th of July parade, except there wasn't... I don't think the fire department and stuff took, you know, the, the sheriff's office and the, sh- the fire department didn't take part. And it was just, it was really a bunch of people with, on horses, marching, guns, stuff like that. But the flags were a little more disturbing. You know, most of the American flags were replaced with 3% flags or uh, the thin blue line flags. Um, there was a couple of Confederate flags. Always fun. <laughs> I still can't figure out the yeah. Confederate flag. Right. Yeah. I, I still can't figure out the Confederate flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Long way south here. Yeah. yeah, you know, but there is that lost cause myth that does take place here. Yes, um, I'm sure. And, and it, it, you know, they'll say it's not a racist um, flag, but it absolutely is. This was the parade the unicorns called out. And this was what put them at the center of Gramlich's conspiracy-riddled hate machine. Jordan gave us a little more insight into exactly who those fascist groups were. The people that the Sentinel brought to town for their little protest parade. George Gramlich is a member of Oath Keepers. We've been able to confirm that through not only himself, but Thompson Reuters had an investigative reporter that um, confirmed that for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So Oath Keepers is a big one. 3%, you'll see some of those shirts around. The, the two yeah. of them are kind of synonymous. None of it's super yeah. organized. You know, yeah. it's kind of like saying that uh, Antifa's super organized. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, very it's decentralized. Bunch of angry people. The problem is, is that they do write extreme things. And I think people like um, myself and then, you know, definitely the Unicorn Ranch suffers um, because they, ha- they, they can't really spread their message without an enemy. And you were asking mm-hmm. earlier how, how much influence do they have. Yeah. Not a lot. They have about... 800 subscriptions, from what I can tell. Okay. Um, some receipts accidentally got put in my box versus theirs. Because <laughs> we're the Wet Mountain Publishing Company. Yeah. Um, and they're the Mountain Publishing yes, Company. Yes, I saw so that. Yeah. The post office and all their glory occasionally give me a, a win. But, uh, you know, they're 800 to maybe 1,000 by their own, okay. own numbers. The Sentinel's stance on vaccines will definitely not shock you, considering everything else we've said about George and the Sentinel thus far. Uh, so this comes from marketticker.org. Effectiveness of primary infection against severe, critical, or fatal COVID-19 reinfection was 97.3%, irrespective of the variant of primary infection or reinfection, and with similar, and with no evidence for waning. Similar results can be found in subgroup analyses for those less than 50 years of age. Got it? No. Let me explain it. If you got COVID-19 and lived, you are more than 97% certain, with a very narrow confidence band protected against a severe or fatal ED in hospital or dead second infection even though coronaviruses always mutate. And I'm just going to check really quickly if that's what they're saying. Uh, and normally, yeah, they've quoted this sort of out of context. Uh, and there is no evidence of protection ever goes away. That is 
not what the quote says. Uh, if you look at the jab, I think you get the picture. It's pseudoscience babble, transphobia, and general boomer anti-wokeism. Oh, there's a piece here. I've said it's about the uh, you know the U.S. Army is really struggling to recruit right now, right? Imagine you're an 18-year-old white Christian male in Georgia with a family history of military service. As you progress through your teen years, you watch Confederate statues being torn down and military bases being renamed. Endless media and elitist demonization of your culture as racist and deplorable and backwards. And military and civilian leadership that thinks diversity and inclusion, i.e. fewer white men, is the best thing since sliced bread. Would you volunteer? Identity politics works both ways. Trash my tribe and I won't associate with you, let alone risk my life. Shouldn't it be a shock then that those expressing a great deal of trust and confidence in the military dropped from 70% in 2018 to 45% today. So uh, that's why no one wants to join the military because we are not doing enough uh, confederacy. Wow, there's a whole piece on how to protect your wealth by... Oh, wow, no, there's a whole section of this called the Second Amendment Corner. Okay, interesting. So there's a picture here of uh, a bunch of ATF agents, obviously armed and in plate carriers, and a pride flag. And this is a joke. This is a funny... Uh, and it says, corporate wants you to find the difference between this picture and this picture. And then it says they're the same picture. So I guess um, the ATF are uh, out there enforcing uh, pride. The little meme comic that we'd seen was frankly bizarre. The two pictures on this comic were an ATF visit. This particular ATF visit got hyped up all over the right wing media as a raid, a gun grab, etc., etc. Uh, In fact, what happened was a dude purchased a lot of guns and the ATF came by to check if he had sold any of them. It's not routine, but it's not super uncommon either. Anyway, on one side was a photo of the ATF agents and plate carriers with rifles. And on the other was a pride flag, because apparently in Custer County, the existence of queer people is a similar oppression to the people who did Waco coming to your door. Jordan has also noted this turn in the rhetoric of the Sentinel. For two years, their sole purpose was to rail against COVID restrictions. Now, with many of those gone, along with 22 people from the county where the average age is 60, they've pivoted to culture war topics when election fraud and COVID don't seem to have stuck. Now it's just we're against um, it was all, you know, the big lie. The election was stolen. Critical race theory, even though it's a bunch of crap. Um, And unfortunately, you know, the unicorn ranch, if there's if there's in the past, it was more against um, anybody that was gay. um, But there's not many of those in the community anymore because they kind of got run out. Um, And so from the the, Sentinel, you were seeing like it just conserves in general, really hostile. Yeah, I mean, there's been definitely a shift. Yeah. But now it's, you know totally on the trans. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it kind of fights back against the conservative upbringing that I had, which was, as long as you're not interfering with me, then there's really no conflict. We've talked about queer exterminationist rhetoric before, and it's very evident that what we are seeing here is a version of that. Fortunately, George doesn't seem to have stuck the landing, but it doesn't mean that this stuff isn't dangerous. It goes without saying that the unicorns weren't trying to trans anyone's gender from their ranch. They were just trying to be left alone. It's not their actions that people disagreed with. It's their mere existence. And sadly, while the attack on the ranch might have failed, 
other attacks on queer folks haven't. And that makes havens like the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch even more important today. Next episode, we're going to talk about what brought people to the ranch and how to make a queer home in rural America. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The ranch in July 2022 is a very different place to the one I visited in March of 2021. For one thing, it's not so cold that my water bottle freezes every night. But more notably, there's less tension in the air and no one's wearing a plate carrier. Not everyone who was there for the siege stayed. Some of them had only been visiting, or they'd found other places to live since then. But Penny, Kat, Jen and Jay have been constants on the ranch since 2020. Something I've struggled with so far is giving a sense of just what a welcoming and friendly place the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch is. It's a thing I haven't really stopped thinking about since I first visited, and a thing that a lot of folks have been looking for for a very long time. Even in the worst times of the siege, when Penny and Jay barely slept, when Aldo was out running off Chud with guns, or when Paul and I were sat up all night absolutely destroying the Costco snack melange that Penny had prepared for us, people always seemed to be laughing. When we sat down to talk about the siege, we started off by laughing. It's a difficult topic and it was a scary time, but I guess it's easier to laugh about it a year later when you know everyone's okay. Well, let's go over everyone's legal names, date of birth, social security number, maybe your um, uh, four-digit... Pi- what? Firearms owned, legally or otherwise. Yeah. List of fears, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Any kinks? Lots. 
We'll run past 45 minutes. A shorter list of kinks I don't have. We don't want this to be just a story about the worst week the ranch ever had. We want it to be a story about a community that overcame adversity and is thriving. That community extends way beyond the dome, which unicorns call home, and even beyond the valley that they live in. But we should start with that valley. Because even at the peak of the siege, it seems like most people were on the unicorn's side. Or at least, they just wanted to leave them alone. It was because of warnings from other people in the valley that they knew to patrol their perimeter at night. Had they not been there, this might be a very different story. A year later, everyone in the valley values the unicorns being there. During the few days we spent there this summer, we visited neighbours for drinks, we went into town for donuts and coffee, and dropped in on Jordan, the Tribune publisher, at his ranch. It's not as if the unicorns are pariahs sitting up in their house surrounded by guns and afraid of what's coming next. They're active members of the community and they're very welcome. There was a time when this community wasn't as friendly to queer people. But they've always been here. I spoke to Penny about this last year, while we drove to the recycling centre in the next county to recycle Westlift cans. Yeah, like we're doing the same thing y'all are doing. Like, you right. can not pick up on that. Like, yeah, not to mention also that, like, there are queers here. Like, yeah, we, we, we're we not know the first a, a wave. Lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like we're not breaking any fucking mold. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, we're definitely loud. We're not yeah, like, yeah. We, we, we didn't, like, get kowtowed and fucking, like, bent over and, like, to shut up our whole life so we're definitely like fuck you we're queer yeah. um, and they don't like that like yeah, I get no, it that, like, that's, I, yeah. that makes that makes old, good old boys uncomfortable and I get it also fuck you like, yeah no we're gonna be who we are living yeah. the way we want it look if you can hang two Trump flags and a confederate flag from the back of your truck and drive down main street screaming fucking horrible hateful things and feel perfectly justified in doing that, I'm gonna just be queer. Like, I'm gonna go ahead and be as loud as I wanna be. Like, obviously you think it's okay to have personal expression. Yeah. Like, uh, no, that's really, freedom of speech right there. Right? You really, really think it's okay. So, I'm gonna go ahead and take you up on that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. They have this, like, yeah, well, that's what they keep saying to us, right? It's like, well, you don't have to be in our face about it. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm just living. Yeah, like, I'm not like, you know, I'm not coming into your home and humping your couch. Like, yeah. I'm just <laughs> being alive. Like, it can be easy, especially if you only connect with rural places through the media, to see cities as queer spaces and the countryside as unfriendly to queer people. Well, politics in rural America can be pretty bad. It's never really been true that queer people don't belong there. The unicorns pointed this out. Historically, if you know anything about history, like country spaces are queer fucking spaces. Like we're the ones out here doing the actual work while fucking old fucking cis white men just collect money from doing shitty ranching that damages animals, damages the earth and fucking does not build community or help anybody but themselves. Queer integration into country spaces is so fucking important because we bring heart and empathy and all these things uh, that, that capitalism is stripped out of uh, these areas. Um, we, we bring that back and we've always fucking been here. Like, fuck off. Like, Real cowboys were constantly fucking. Constantly. <laughs> they fucked. A lot. Each other. And, and they were mostly like black and brown people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't white. The West was not white. 
And, and by the way, like we have said this before and we'll say it again. Nature is inherently queer and we fucking belong here. Yes. Like we yeah. fucking belong wherever the fuck we go. Like that is a queer space. Uh, there is no like hard line that country spaces are for cis people. Fuck that. Like we belong here. We've always been here and we're really good at it. After the siege and its coverage, everyone knows that the unicorns are low tier queer icons, but they're only part of the local queer community and they have other folks over for game nights once a week. They told us one story about Pride Month in Westcliff this year. And thankfully, it didn't involve the ATF. There was a really adorable, uh, during Pride Month, we went to Family Dollar, uh, which is like one of the few stores in town. And um, <laughs> I guess we were talking to the manager who was checking us out. And uh, and uh, he mentioned like, oh, yeah, like I have like, I have a gay and a trans working here. Like, I, you know, I love y'all, you know. And it was it was very, it was a little a little embarrassing, but but the heart was there. You yeah, know, and yeah. I was like, it was oh, very you just outed two of your employees. Yeah, I, was like, I mean, you didn't say who, but it was. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, like, like even Family Dollar in middle it's of nowhere, true. Westcliff, has two queer employees. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it, um, it we're really, everywhere. Queer people had always been in the valley but it had become harder to share who they were with their neighbors in recent decades. They never stopped existing, but they stopped being safe. Yeah, I mean... We're connecting with a lot of queer people that have lived here for a long time. Like, yeah, it's the fact that a community is so hostile that their queer community has to be closeted does not mean that the queer community isn't here. It just means that a lot of assholes are here. Don't ask, don't tell, an institutional version of closeting is something that Penny is very familiar with. She was in the army as a cavalry scout while the policy was still in place. If you're not familiar, don't ask, don't tell was a military policy that was in place from 1994 until 2011. Under the policy, anyone who wasn't straight was to remain in the closet, and in theory, they were protected from discrimination. But if they came out as gay or bi or trans or otherwise queer, they could be discharged. Queer people were not even allowed to talk about anything related to their queerness, because doing so, quote, would create an unacceptable risk to the high standards of morale, good order and discipline, and unit cohesion that are the essence of military capability. Don't ask, don't tell the fucked up policy. Like, I, I had a boyfriend and a girlfriend when I was in the military. Um, and I definitely was like, this is my best friendo in Germany. And he comes over and sometimes spends the night because we're best friendos. I, I don't know. It was really, really damaging. It was just really, really damaging to like 100% not be able to be yourself. Um, but then also like be able to leave post and have a secret life where you were yourself, you know, like... And then when you go out with the guys, like, there's always those weird moments where you, like, do run into other gay locals that you have, like, known and, like, you've had deep conversations with in other contexts and just have to be like, no, like, don't, don't talk to me. Like, we don't know each other. Um, which is, I'm sure, damaging for them, you know? Like, yeah. that can't be fucking normal. Like, I don't know. That's weird. And then on the throw on top of that, that you're also a girl, like, you know what I mean? Like, so you're pretending to be a gay man who's straight sometimes around certain people, um, but really you're a gay, you're a bisexual woman, um, 
pre-surgery and with the wrong um, hormones. And so it just ends up being a soup of just like compartmentalization to the point where you just like forget people. And then they show back up and you're like, oh yeah, like you're from this quadrant of my life. Like, I don't know, it's not healthy. Yeah. It doesn't do good things. Don't Ask, Don't Tell had pretty devastating consequences for the mental health of thousands of service people. The National Transgender Discrimination Survey found that 20% of trans people have served in the military, over twice the rate of cisgender people. But until very recently, they weren't even allowed to do so openly. Not being able to be yourself with people that you're expected to risk your life for isn't really conductive to good morale or indeed, quote, the unit cohesion that is the essence of military capability. There's no doubt that being familiar with guns, something they gained from military experience, did help the unicorns. But it's not the only thing that helped them. Sometimes, especially on Twitter where things seem to get reduced to simple terms to fit into the discourse of the day, the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch story has been reduced to a story about guns. Undoubtedly, guns are a part of the story, but they would have been useless without community and solidarity. That is something that the unicorns at the ranch have taken to heart. A year later, they're doing mutual aid work with the Lakota people on the Pine Ridge Reservation, driving truckloads of donations to them every few months, and using their internet presence to get donations. If we want to look at this story as an example of anarchism in action, then it's important to remember that if we want a world where the state is not the only entity with the ability to do violence, then we should also want a world where it's not the only entity responsible for caring for people with unmet material needs. Alongside ranch work, Penny and Jay also make ends meet by working construction jobs on local buildings. Something that George from the Sentinel is very proud of, and that other local residents are beginning to regret, is that Custer County doesn't have a building code. Here's a snippet of his conversation with TL about that. And one example, TL, is that this county is so free, we don't even have building codes. If you want to live here, you can build yourself a shack with twigs and live in it. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's the way it is here in my little burg in uh, Texas, too. Yeah, so, yeah. So, do you really need them? Do you really need them? I mean, that's something I, I, I think should be attacked in other ways. But <laughs> go ahead. But that's one of the things that, that make Custer County and one of the reasons I moved to this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, building goes uh, basically uh, cause housing prices to, to uh, become unreachable for the middle class. The problem with this conservative utopian vision is that it has resulted in a lot of residents getting ripped off by less than upstanding builders, and now left with their homes falling apart. That's where Penny and Jay can step in and make a decent side income, drywalling and finishing buildings that, while often are not very old, are already crumbling. Like we've always said, um, this community is 99% awesome. Um, and that has held true. We, uh, we do contracting work uh, because there are no um, building codes in Custer County, uh, as opposed to what like the libertarian ideal of no building codes is. It actually just means that there's a bunch of shoddy houses that need repaired constantly. 
um, and we have construction skills. So we're in people's homes, uh, repairing them and uh, doing work for the actual people of the county daily. Um, we frequent businesses up here because we're all about local support. We build community um, glee gleefully. Point. We build community like we really enjoy it up here. The community now is a little smaller than when James first visited. Currently, five people live at the ranch full time, but they still have a couple of trailers open to trans folks in need of a safe place to stay or, you know, visiting journalists. Looking for a safe place to stay is how Jay first came to the ranch. Like a lot of us, she had a difficult time at the start of the pandemic. The world was changing, and it seemed in May of 2020 that America was as well. For a lot of people with less progressive parents, the BLM uprising presented a difficult choice between family and community. Jay was one of those people that had to face that choice. So, basically, um, I was living in Dallas, working retail, uh, when, living in my car when the um, pandemic started. And... So I was furloughed. Uh, luckily, Texas is actually surprisingly good about unemployment. So I, you know, had that. Um, was My parents are retired from the military around there. And when the BLM uprisings happened, uh, I you know, did some things. And basically, my parents were like, uh, you either can stay here or and not be associated with Antifa or, you know, you, you can't stay here if you're associated with Antifa. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm leaving then, which is fine. Um, there was a lot of tension there anyways. Uh, wasn't good for me. So, um, I, because of the unemployment, I was like, okay, I've, you know, for once have some resources, I can just kind of, you know, I'm already living in my car. I can just kind of travel around for a bit. Why not? And um, I think I just posted on Twitter, like, uh, trans commune win, you know, as as probably most queer people have. And uh, one of my permaculture mutuals actually was like, hey, have you heard of this place? It's not far from you. And posted a link to, I think it was the Vice article. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I sent a message and uh, with a bunch of questions about it and making sure it wasn't, you know, like trans medicalists or anything like that. Which is always like what you want to see when somebody contacts the ranch like <laughs> about coming up. I way prefer an in-depth breakdown and a lot of questions to I'll just show up and figure it out. <laughs> in case you're not familiar with what a trans medicalist is, uh, we'll let Paul ask that question for you. And we're going to play this not to make Paul look bad. We're playing it for you because I think it's important to see what kind of space the ranch is. It's not one where you can't get things wrong. It's one where you can ask if you don't know something. And because everyone there had shown that they're willing to risk life and limb for one another, they assume that you're asking it because you care about them and you want to know how to say things in a way that won't hurt anyone. What the fuck is a trans medicalist? Someone who Ugh. thinks that so primarily. Oh well. <laughs> so this is does not describe any of us, but a trans medicalist is someone who, uh, first and foremost, thinks that all trans people should be on hormones. All trans people should have surgery. All trans people should strive towards. Or yeah, you're not trans. And 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 they don't believe in. 
Yeah. Yeah, and they don't believe in anything but the gender binary so, as well. So, like, basically, if you don't want to transition directly from, like, a male to a female or directly or from whatever, a female yeah. to a male, like, you're not... You're invalid. Then you're, you're not, not a yeah. real trans yeah. person. Yep. Yeah, you're yep. not real. They're they they think they think those trans people are making it worse for other yeah, trans people. Sorry, you're not allowed to be non-binary. Yeah, or, yeah. So so like are, okay so like that was my next question. So like are non-binary? Yeah, people? they hate those people. They think they're faking. So but like do they say they're not trans and yes. lump them into yeah. a different group? Yeah, yeah. no, they, they, they often call they them trans trenders because it's like okay. a popularity contest. Okay. They think. Okay. So yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, and no. those people suck. Jay has found a home at the ranch now, and just like everyone else there, she's a part of the family which takes care of one another. It was actually really funny because Jay showed up, and I, the assumption I thought was that you're just going to stay for a little bit, and then you just didn't leave, and it was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. wasn't a problem. It was like, oh, it's Jay's thing. That's good. It was very natural. <laughs> it works out. This, yeah. this is exactly what you know a lot of queer people talk about online, which is... Yeah. Well, and Jay brought a passion that we hadn't seen with a lot of people that had come up. A lot of people had come up with this, like, yeah, we'll just see what it is or whatever. But Jay came up with like knowledge about theory and like had studied and was really like conscientiously a part of this project, um, which was huge. I mean, for me, like part of what Jay has been able to help with is organizing the moving of animals to different pastures. James was at the ranch last year when they were replacing their old fence and planning out their fields. I'll tear down this ratty-ass fence um, and this back fence here uh, as we build the new kind of structure for the girls out in that field um, when we're doing the fence uh, heightening. Okay. So it's not only um security increase but we're also we'll fence off the driveway and then the girls watch the babies and mamas will actually get access all the way down the driveway and up this hill a little bit nice. hey babies come on um and uh yeah we'll just structure our fields a little bit better and then the girls will have two pastures which is kind of which huge. We can rotate them into. Yeah, nice. And then we can start actual permaculture yeah. or is it permaculture? I it's, said I mean, it's regener. In this context, it's like regenerative agriculture. Thank you. That's but, what I was looking you for. You know, you yeah. can also like permaculture. People do it too. You know. Yeah, but but what we're doing is we're. Re- it's both, really. We'll be doing both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you can use either. Jay's our expert, so. Okay. There's like, definitely an industry like oh, oh regenerative agriculture is the this... new thing, and but it's still capitalism and it's still exploitative. But this... there are also people doing real regenerative. Yeah. Talking with Jay, it's very evident just how passionate they are about these topics and how things like biodiversity and regenerative and permaculture processes tie into many aspects of the ranch itself. The you know capitalist project is homogenization and simplification. The entire goal is things like monocrops. The entire goal is you know you know the gender binary and controlling the reproduction of labor, controlling cis women and queer gender expression is a big part of that. Like you can't have those things and have a capitalist environment, white supremacist environment where you can extract from the earth and from labor. That is such a key component of this whole, like, you know, Western project or whatever you want to call it. And nature doesn't care. Nature is queer. Nature, like nature just exists. Fungi have thousands of sexes and genders. Yeah. And that's 
fine. In fact, that's mandatory. In fact, like the part of the point of nature is biodiversity because that is the most effective method for actually iterating and testing what works and surviving and surviving. Yeah. And, and we're bimodal by the way, not binary. Like, and you know, if you need to look that up, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and permaculture in particular, uh, you know, some, one big problem with permaculture is there's a lot of white people who, uh, use the practices and don't acknowledge that it all comes from indigenous cultures. It all comes from indigenous lifeways. And they make a lot of money by not saying that, not, you know, so that's important to address. Uh, Permaculture has its, you know, value. But if you're not learning from indigenous people and giving back to indigenous people, you're doing it wrong. Just because the immediate threat of armed men breaking into the ranch has gone away doesn't mean that they still don't have to be careful. In April of 2021, after the siege was over, the then-sheriff Shannon Byerly claimed that one of his deputies went to the ranch to ask questions about a road traffic accident that one of the ranchers had been involved in. He claimed the deputy was met by armed and uncooperative ranchers who barred the deputy from entering. Body cam video obtained by Reuters, thanks to a Public Records Act request, shows nothing of the sorts. The deputy met a single person, not visibly armed, who was polite and courteous. In subsequent interviews, Byerly acknowledged that he had been mistaken in his account. But we'll let you hear Jay's account of the events that day. So my Chevy Blazer had been sitting over the winter. Um, It had a bad alternator. And I finally, like, we finally got, you know, the money together to replace the alternator. Um, Looked it over. Everything seemed fine. Um... And I was going back to Texas to grab some stuff and bring it back. Um, and went around a, a apparently black ice corner. And it, I, I'm pretty sure what happened was my tire popped around. Like, go, I was only going like 35, 40 because, you know, black, there's ice. It's still it was went, early in the morning. Yeah, it was, it was like four or five o'clock in the morning or something like that. And... I'm pretty sure what happened was my tire popped and then my blazer proceeded to tumble, uh, you know, you had a rollover flip rollover. Yeah. Yeah. Into the, uh, luckily not a ditch or anything just on the left, the South left side of the road. And so I called Penny and, uh, got picked up. Yeah. We take care of our own. We're not going to call the cops. It was, Um, it only was you. No reason. And, and, then I was like, okay, let me look at towing around the area. Let me see. And the towing, the local towing company, which is just like a small family owned one thing, guy, yeah. one guy, basically. Um, they, on their Facebook, like business page, they said they opened at like nine or 10 or something like that. So, so I was like, waiting. okay, so I'm, it's going to be on the side of the road until then. That's fine. I'll call. And I'm going to go to sleep until then because I was just in a rollover accident. You were probably concussed. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably whiplashed at yeah, least. Yeah, um, totally. And then, so I was in my trailer and I suddenly, in my PJs, and suddenly get a call from dispatch. And they're like, there's a deputy at your gate. Uh, you know, can you go blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. I take, took a vehicle down. In your PJs? In my PJs. Unarmed. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have a pistol in the car or on me. And... um 
I basically just, you know, as you do with cops, as any sane human does, I answer to the extent that you're legally required to be polite, but also like, I'm not going to invite you on. I'm not going to be your friend. You don't need to be, you're here. not my friend. Yeah. Um, but you weren't standoffish. And he, he, yeah, he, you know, he did the usual, like, you know, were you, were you drinking? And, and I was like, it's like five o'clock in the morning. morning. Like yeah. it's like six o'clock right now. Like, yeah, like I was going back, I was driving back to Texas to pick up stuff. I was starting a road trip. That's not when you like get blitzed. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And uh so he gave me his card and left. And wow, I, I was like, that. okay, that's you know, that's fine. That was weird, but and it, it was weird to me too that like they apparently have some kind of relationship with this towing guy. Yeah. Where because they didn't even ask me, like, hey, do you they want just it fucking to towed to it. this like, place? Yeah. Um they just towed it before they even con- contact yeah. me. And so either you bring the title over to sign it over to the towing person or you pay him like four or $500 to, tow out here. to bring it back here. So that's what actually happened. But then for some reason, the local sheriff started telling a very different account of what took place outside the unicorn's driveway. So, so that, that was the start of that was the actual incident. Then Byerly, the sheriff started getting interviewed. And in those interviews, he would say they, there was six of them. They met us at the gate armed were extremely hostile to the point where my, my sheriff felt felt fear for his life and had to retreat (laughs) back. And he might've felt fear for his life, but Uh, he also uh, said, we don't go there anymore, (laughs) but he said on record, we don't go there anymore because it's too scary. Oh my God. And so that is setting us up to be killed. That is setting us up to be murked by police. It's like, you know, this is uh, Kiwi farm says this all the time. Yeah. yeah. This is tranny Waco. Yeah. And that is the setup for it, it to become that. And so, because then now all of his deputies are just ready to shoot us on site because we're dangerous. A reporter from Reuters was looking into the incident and heard the conflicting stories from the sheriff and the unicorns, but she thought of an easy fix to definitively know what happened. She just foiled the body cam footage, which proved unequivocally (laughs) that they were lying their fucking ass off and we were telling the truth. Uh, and Byerly retired this year. I don't know if... Well, and she... When she foyed it, she went back. Oh, God, yeah. And Byerly was like, can I remove my comments from because the Because she, she asked... She, she, like... I don't know if it was a follow-up well, she interview she said, do or- you have any additional comments? And his additional comments were... Can you please remove my my previous statements from the record? I think she said no. And she yeah. emphatically said no and then published it internationally. This wasn't the first suspect incident regarding the local sheriffs. When Paul was at the ranch in the immediate aftermath of the original siege, he witnessed cops hanging out with a group of people who were actively harassing the ranch. I was here for a week, and uh, at one point yeah, there was like... 15 to 20 cars at uh, Chud Ranch, which it's up to you to release that location. Right. Chud we just Chud call it Chud Ranch. Real, yep. But it's the ranch of Chud. You can, you can visit, you can see it from yes, the ranch. You can, you can see it from here. And um, there were two sheriff's deputies sitting at the curb yep. the entire time as those cars pulled in there. Yep. 
And they yeah, were protecting our harassers. Yeah, well, they were sitting there side by side talking to each other while the cars pulled in there. You yep. probably said have said this before, and I just don't didn't remember. Yeah, I mean, it must have been 20 of them. So the other end of that is then when uh, it got publicized, the sheriff then said, oh, we don't. We don't know anything about it. Like they didn't contact us. We didn't. Yeah, they said they, they tried to. They couldn't verify yeah. the the statements made in the media about threats against the ranch. Exactly. Well, these were just hanging out at the fascist. Well, family. and they were super yeah. snooty about it. They made it sound like, well, Tenacious Unicorn Ranch clearly doesn't want to be part of our community. So, yeah. like, so why would we help them? <laughs> that, that, was, that seemed to be the implication. Sheriff Byerly, who spoke at a 2015 Oath Keepers rally, has since resigned as sheriff. But for understandable reasons, the unicorns still don't dial 911 when they feel in danger. Instead, they reach out to Paul, to Aldo, and a network of community members who helped with their security both online and on the ground. They also routinely train with firearms, and have added a much more serious fence to the property than the one that the intruders climbed over in 2021. Right after James and I's most recent visit this past summer, Kiwi Farms started being in the news a lot more due to a campaign attempting to take it down, but as the hate forum entered the discourse again, the unicorns had started noticing cars driving past the ranch repeatedly, something that Paul, Aldo, and James observed during the siege. And now, in just the past few weeks, trans people have been killed in a nightclub just an hour away from their house, just a few miles away from the bar where we met them this past summer to celebrate Jay's birthday. Tomorrow, we'll talk about what those threats mean for the ranch and where they are now. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, Every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. 
Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at meaningfulbeauty.com. On our drive down from Denver to Westcliff, we were first going to meet up with the unicorns in Colorado Springs for a little birthday dinner. James and I arrived a few hours early, so I had the bright idea to stop at the headquarters of the evangelical media organization Focus on the Family. I hadn't been there since I was a little Christian kid, so I was curious what it would be like for me to walk through now. What was it like walking through their little headquarters and welcome center? What, was, <laughs> what, what were the general vibes? <laughs> that was fucking bonkers. Um, so we went in initially and we've gone into the bookshop and I found uh, a book that told me that holding hands is foreplay. Uh, that was called Sex in Marriage. Uh, I've seen a book with a pink triangle on the cover that is about LGBTQ people. Uh, which is deeply tracking troubling. Well, it's it, it's it's about men struggling with their sexual identity. I see. Yeah, uh-huh. and the way to stop that struggling is yeah. genocide. Uh-huh. Queer eliminationist rhetoric hasn't just been confined to Christian bookstores or the internet. In November of 2022, it once again became very clear how this kind of nonstop 24/7 hate speech being beamed into everyone's homes impacts them. On the eve of Transgender Day of Remembrance, as Club Q, a gay bar in Colorado Springs, was preparing for an all-ages drag show, a 22-year-old shooter walked in and killed five people, leaving 25 more injured. The shooter was ultimately tackled and pistol-whipped by a U.S. Army veteran, Richard Fierro, and stomped in the face by an unidentified trans woman. A few days after the Club Q shooting on so-called Thanksgiving, the focus on the family headquarters was defaced, leaving behind a graffiti message pointing out the organization's culpability from pioneering the kind of gay exterminationist propaganda that the modern conservative right is embracing. The message left on the property that James and I visited just a few months prior read, quote, Their blood is on your hands. Five lives taken. Way back in 2020, I put together a Behind the Bastards on Focus on the Family and their founder, James Dobson, and I've covered Focus on the Family's increase in anti-trans propaganda earlier this year on this very show. After the graffiti was left on their headquarters on Thanksgiving, a statement was released by the Colorado People's Press, and I'm going to read a few parts of that. Quote, It is no accident that the Club Q shooting happened in Colorado Springs, a city steeped in homophobia, transphobia, and white supremacy. It is no surprise that somebody did this in the city that is home to such a hateful organization as Focus on the Family. If you visit their website, you will see them eagerly display their desire to rid the world of all queer people. It is important to us that you understand why Focus on the Family must be held accountable for the ramifications of their hateful theology. You have likely seen the onslaught of anti-trans legislation, of which Focus on the Family is a huge proponent, both in funding and propaganda. Focus on the Family's goal is to eradicate queerness." Two of the five people killed in the Club Q shooting were trans people, 
and in the days after the attack, figures on the right continued to call for attacks on trans people and drag queens, using their familiar language of groomers and grooming, while of course completely ignoring multiple figures within their own midst who have very well-documented relationships with people convicted or suspected of sex crimes. But obviously, evidence or logic doesn't really make a difference in these types of situations. What's happened is that a handful of figures on the right have decided that they can gain power, influence, and money by whipping up hatred towards queer people. With this hate has come an uptick in violence, and this only makes queer havens like the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch more important. Last month in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after a donut shop hosted a drag queen and queer art event, a man in a mega hat smashed the windows of the store with a baseball bat and threw in a Molotov cocktail. The attacker also taped a note with Bible verses and homophobic and transphobic slurs on the window of a neighboring shop. This wasn't the first time the store had been targeted, and this attack happened a day before the shop was set to host another drag art event. On December 3rd, a right-wing activist and former U.S. Army Psychological Operations Officer claimed on Facebook that God had caused a power outage in Moore County, North Carolina, in an effort to shut down a drag show that was currently taking place in a local theater. Earlier that same day, a holiday-themed drag show in Columbus, Ohio, hosted by a Unitarian Universalist church, was cancelled due to threats and protests outside by Proud Boys, Patriot Front, and a number of unidentified armed men in camo. Patriot Front chanted blood, liberty, and victory, while the Proud Boys chanted feds, feds, feds back at them. Despite their disagreements, the two groups seemed perfectly fine working together to shut down the drag event. The Nazi group White Lives Matter Ohio was set up a few blocks away in their skull masks and were sieg-heiling to drivers passing by. After it became clear the drag show was not going to take place, the groups moved to a busier, more visible street to wave their groomer signs. A few dozen Patriot Front members stood chanting outside of a Chipotle as a Christian Dominionist flag flew behind them. On December 7th, someone fired a gun through the window of a bar in Renton, Washington, after threats against the bar were posted online for hosting a drag queen story time. Just a few days ago, on December 13th, the FBI designated extremist militia group uh, named This Is Texas Freedom Force showed up armed with guns outside of a Christmas-themed drag show in San Antonio, Texas. Other right-wing groups like the San Antonio Family Association and the fascist Patriot Front also had members present. By the end, the crowd protesting the drag show was greatly outnumbered by people showing up to support and defend the queer event, some of whom also showed up armed. Something that was mentioned across the multiple interviews we did while visiting the ranch is the idea of microcosm and macrocosm. 
The Tenacious Unicorn Ranch story and the threats of violence that they have faced really does embody a microcosm version of the transphobic and queer eliminationist rhetoric and genocide campaign that the country as a whole is experiencing. It's just that this local manifestation of it happened to be on an alpaca farm, as odd as that may be. Inherently kind of funny animal. Yeah, and then the, the way they run with their head all the way down to the ground and just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the impracticalities. Yeah. Yep, little camels. <laughs> yeah. Camel they, they're animals straight out of a Ghibli film, you know? <laughs> they really are, yeah. Designed by committee. They have the same amount of magic. Yeah, just driving up here, seeing them. Yeah, I was like, wow. Right? They little... do inspire that. Yeah. Like, uh... They are like unicorns. They're like mythical. Yeah, know? they're just kind of like, wow, is this real? Yeah. It's like a fucking tauntaun? What's going on here? <laughs> they just look so snuggleable. Yeah. just want to snuggle them. And the way they walk like that, like they're like... Here I come. Yeah. When they do a trot, like in their head, goes, it's kind of funny. This is Clownface. He's an asshole, but he's a really good dad. Yeah. For this last episode of the series, we want to give you a sense of what regular life is like at the ranch, now that it's been almost two years since the siege, and people have had time to process, grow, and adapt. One thing that's growing is the number of alpacas. We have 196, 196 right something yeah. like that. With the, with the recent Kriyas born, we have yeah. 196. So about 196 alpaca. Um, Let's talk a little bit about alpaca, because I think they're interesting, right? Um, you came into most of your alpaca as rescues. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, so at the original ranch, we purchased... Uh, 10 alpaca, but it was like a rescue purchase. The only way that we could get them to give them up as if we paid money for them, but they were like, they needed new homes. That was all uh, from really lovely people. It was just like, these weren't alpaca they wanted. Um, And then we learned really quickly that there is a, that, that there's a problem in America with alpaca ranchers aging out of being able to take care of these really massive herds that they've built and either euthanizing or splitting up herds which is both things are not great for the health of the alpaca. Uh, Especially so, euthanizing. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Documented. That ends that story. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so we found really quickly that there is a, uh, as a rescue, we were able to help more animals and afford animals, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, because, and because we were on the acreage that we're on, we could take in entire herds and not break them up, which is a big deal. Um, and so our first intake of rescues was 76 alpaca from a really great couple in Horsetooth that was retiring. Uh, really great animals, hardy, uh, really quality fiber. Um, and we just kind of have been with that model ever since uh, as a rescue. Um, the, the way you you are like uh, sustainable as a ranch is, in addition to working outside, is selling the fiber, right? The, the fiber from the animals, yeah. Uh, both sheep and the alpaca uh, provide fiber that we then turn into. Really, what we do is turn it into yarn and then sell the yarn. We've never uh, needed to go beyond that because we've always sold out of our yarn almost immediately. Speaking of sheep, 
Here's a nice little clip of James fawning over some of the door sets. There is a yeah. Nice looking sheep. There's some of them that are mixed with uh I don't remember what the black face Scotch black face. Yeah. Um and they're they're a really lovely mix. Yeah, that's a nice combination actually. Pretty rugged nice sheep. Big and just rugged, like they put up with everything. Like, yeah. You can see their coats are just like bread. Like they're just <laughs> yeah, doughy, yeah. I love it. Yeah, the dorsets have a, like a nice thick fleece, and they're like wool fleece on the head and the neck. Yeah, and they make really good. Uh, we mixed it with our uh, alpaca yarn this year, and oh, it's cool. a wonderful yarn. It's really rough thinking that there's people that are just like fucking alpaca farmers. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, yeah, what's gone wrong in your life that you're so angry at someone for looking after these fluffy animals? Yeah, like the big thing was there was that moment where like they had the Nazi parade in town and that's what really like we called them out on it and that's what started the animosity but like it was a parade of Nazis like I don't, like, I don't feel bad like you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah. it's weird that they took it to the level of oh yeah well we're gonna burn down your house and kill you all <laughs> that'll show you yeah. it's like yeah, it'll show us that you're Nazis. In our conversation with Jordan from the Tribune, as somebody who was born and raised in this area, he gave us his perspective on why people may have thought they could get away with attacking the ranch and how there has been this cultural shift in recent years to allow this kind of reactionary militancy. You know, again, I, I don't think it was anything super organized other than a bunch of these individuals that had already been sort of organized um, deciding to do something really stupid. Yeah, incredibly stupid. And knowing that the sheriff and a lot of other people wouldn't take it that seriously. That's what I wondered. Yeah, they thought they could get away with it. And has there been a history of that? Like, have they done, has that sort of thing happened in the Valley? Uh, in the past, I mean, there's been plenty of just, as I said, you know, but usually that stuff wasn't condoned, so eventually they get caught. And You mean like in terms of like, like pressuring, like, or minorities you know in the past there was there was always some of those types of things but it also wasn't condoned or even excused Mm -hmm. even against most if it came out then those people were shunned and shamed even by republicans but these days it's much more like well we'll look the other way you know yeah yeah now it's tipped the other direction thankfully so far the efforts of these few individuals to harm or pressure the unicorns out of the community have unequivocally failed and in some ways just made stronger bonds. Yeah. They wanted you to leave. Yeah. 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 I mean, all all of it was designed to make you so afraid you would go away. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Terrorism. (laughs) Terrorism. Yeah. And that hasn't happened, right? So you're where a year and change a year and a half almost. Yeah, two 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 also years in this location. Yeah, two two years, two years yeah. and change. Yeah. And a year plus since since the harassment reaches peak. Yeah. yeah. And how are things now? Great. I think at this point people legitimately love us, like locals. Like Yeah. People call us the unicorns and they everybody knows who we are and it's and not in a bad way. Like uh it's really we feel at home here. Because of the timing of their initial move over to Westcliff. It made local community building kind of challenging, and little did they know that they would crucially need community and support 
in the months to come. So because it was during the pandemic uh, and everything was on lockdown, we didn't establish a lot of community. We uh, um, Annie moved in. Uh, who was somebody we knew down in Berthoud, which was very close to us. Uh, and so she moved up here at the exact same time we were moving up here. So we did have like somebody that we could like talk to and interact with, but they were just as new to the area as we were. Um, and I mean, honestly, setting up a ranch and moving from one location to another, uh, when you're talking about like multiple hundreds of animals. And at that point we were six people. Uh, we were very self-focused for the first six Six months we were up here. Uh, so our general sweep was they have Shakespeare in the park and it's a tourist town. So it seems great. We moved here because we could afford this house and no other house in Colorado. Uh, and then, and then it slowly started to become apparent that we'd moved into a very red area. But again, there wasn't any overt signs upon arrival. Like everybody was cool. And honestly, like people are still pretty cool. Mostly, ninety nine percent of people. Yeah, are cool it's the one percent of people that suck. Yeah, you know. As things have steadily stabilized and settled into a version of normal, the unicorns have been getting more involved throughout the local community. A little while back, they stepped up to assist with recycling for the county. We stepped up for a small period of time when the recycling company that was handling the county's recycling folded. Uh, we stepped up with our horse trailers and just collected recycling and drove it to a facility. Um, now there's actually a facility in the Westcliff landfill that does recycling for the this county and the neighboring three counties. Um, and that was a b- building that like we designed and uh, the person who's running it, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Recycling, uh, Joni's her name. Uh, amazing people. They're doing great things and we're glad that we could help in whatever way we could. It just became a government project. And that's when we stepped out because that's not really what we're about. But yeah. And as socialization has been able to get more possible since the pandemic, the unicorns have developed ways to connect with the existing community of queers and weirdos in the area. Jen put together like a weekly game night and it's, it's like slowly growing uh, mm-hmm. and we're bringing in queer people to play board games and stuff. Yeah. We've got uh, four different people from in town who, you know, otherwise don't really have a connection to the ranch coming in to play a, a, a board game or maybe magic tonight. What and you, I what have a sneaking suspicion that's going to keep growing. What yeah. are we playing tonight? Uh, it might be Arkham Horror third edition or it might be Mysterium or it might be magic. Okay. My favorite right. is magic. Because I, I would I would would love to, to beat everyone here in a game. Oh my gosh, you should play with us. Yes, that'd be so fun. But yeah, even little things like that, like like and, and it's just like, small ways to build community. Yeah, exactly. it's important because we need to be here when like if it gets really bad. On the macrocosm scale, things do seem to be getting bad. When we talked with Jordan about how George from the Sentinel was targeting the unicorns. The conversation segued into how there's been this shift from economic conservatism to this rising brand of far-right Christian vanguardism. I think if I was to classify some of the, the movement you see in conservative America right now, where it all starts to make sense, is that in the past, conservatism was always trying to push against sort of this idea of revolution or, or progress or too fast. You know, They always go back to the French Revolution. That's where the left and right kind of started. Yeah. 
saying, hey, if you move too quickly with progress, everybody gets their heads chopped off, you know? So that was kind of conservatism, which is we don't really believe in anything necessarily. We're just going to hold the tradition and just kind of be saying no a lot. But at the same time, that's how conservatism was here until the Soviet uh, Union fell. And then all of a sudden something switched, which is we have the system that won. Our system should spread across the world because if everybody did American-style capitalist democracy— we would enter this weird and Randian utopia yeah, of free market street. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll end a history, but yeah. on a conservative side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And but the problem is, is two thousand one, particularly here, pushed it over. It went from like, okay, maybe to we're actually going to try to push this on other yeah. countries. And really, what I called the the alt right or the conservative right now, yeah. they got bit by the utopian bug, which is if everybody is armed to the teeth. If everybody lives the way that they dictate they should live, which is some weird Ayn Randian version of, of life and morality, then we'll enter a utopia. And so if anybody stands against you as that prophet, you are the enemy. So that can be – that's why the, the right now turns on themselves all the time, is anybody that stands against them is the enemy. A liberal stops – Utopia is is their definite. Anybody that stops utopia yeah, you have to go through is or, liberal or communist. Yeah. You know, and I think if you look at it in that lens, the world makes a lot more sense. I don't see very much utopianism at all on the left anymore. Whereas on the yeah. right, it's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's one of those weird political things that's flopped the other direction now, just in different words, different ways. Utopianism is on the right now. Mm-hmm. They they also need to have some type of conflict. They need to have a purging episode. You have to purge everybody that's on the other side to enter utopia. And that that's why Christians are really into it. They read the book of Revelation. We have to have the civil war. We have to purge all the leftists. Because on the other side, we enter the, the kingdom of God. It's the millenarianism. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. absolute millenarianism. And that's what we're facing here. Frankly, it, if I was thing. to sum it up, that's how I'd say it. it was, it's definitely millenarianism in the local form. <laughs> If we are going to look at the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch story as a microcosm of transphobic violence, then I think it should also be seen as a case study of the invaluable role solidarity and community have in resisting the concerted effort to harm queer people. Back when the siege was just starting, simply feeling able to go to sleep because people were willing to show up for you is just one example from this story that's a powerful display of the values many people claim to have but seldom implement. It, we mm-hmm. were exhausted and so to have people show up and be like you like you you will be safe tonight lay down get sleep and trusted enough to sleep like cuz it, it was incredible it was incredible. Yep. As the unicorns continue to make connections and become a known staple of the larger local community, it's made organizing any harassment against them more difficult. I bet a bunch of those people who hate us have tested the waters with their friends, like, yeah. oh, those unicorns. And they're like, what? They're cool. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what that's, that's what I meant. What I, meant. Yeah, like, I, I bet that's happening awesome. constantly yeah. because we keep making no. friends. Um, th- but that's been our ongoing precautions because the, the, it hasn't, the animosity from that group hasn't gone away and it does resurface every once in a while. Like some people threatened to kill our dogs uh, a little while back and things like that. Possibly so, the same people. We're not sure. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly, no way probably, of confirming or yeah, denying maybe, that. Yeah. 
Nowadays, some security measures have been integrated into their everyday lives, thanks to support they've gotten from strangers. Uh, we definitely, we have cameras. So uh, we, we had a GoFundMe where people amazingly kind of like threw a, a large amount of money at us, which afforded a better fence and cameras everywhere on property. So and, that in things like gear. Yeah. Better gear and upgrades and stuff like that. So um, we, we kind of are in an ongoing keep us safe mode, but like cameras and guns, that's how we do it. And I do, I really do think like we showed the shitty people of this town, like don't fucking mess with us. Well, and, we and showed no reason to mess well, we with showed us. What, stop. Well, <laughs> what we showed was that uh, community matters. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't a shit heel, community will show up for you. The day after the club Q shooting, once again, the ranch posted a tweet asking for people to come. This time they didn't need help. They wanted to offer it. They're only an hour or so away from Colorado Springs, and they wanted to offer their home as a place to heal, to talk, and to begin moving forward as a part of the community struck by violence and hate. In addition to a home for the ranchers and the animals, the ranch also provides emergency housing for queer people who aren't safe wherever they currently are. There have been lots of residents at the ranch in the four years they've been operating. Some of them come briefly and use the stability to get set up with a fresh start in some place. Some others intend to stay, but find the country life isn't for them. And some, like Jay, become permanent fixtures on the ranch. The term you've kind of used a lot to describe this place is like a queer haven. Yeah. And the past year, definitely, there's been a pretty volatile increase in transphobia and queerphobia, yeah. even like a resurgence of homophobia. So as this type of stuff is happening, as we're seeing more kind of rhetoric around like queer genocide or queer exterminationism, how do you see this place and, you know, possible places like it fitting into kind of how we, how the world seems to be going? Yeah. So what we've seen aside from people wanting to come up here and live permanently that uh, we're, we've put that on hold right now. Cause we're just kind of, we uh, need tra- more space. Like, yeah, like yeah, we, we, yeah. we don't have the space to like facilitate, but what we have found is something that we are as a haven, what, what, the thing that we do that's most important is groups of queer people will come here for a recharge and to feel like it is recharging to spend a week up here in community with other queer people with no burden from the outside and just being yourself. Building connections and network. Yeah. And like kind of reigniting your fire for revolution and for you know, in kind of, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, like, touching base and realizing that like the community is still big. It is still growing. People are still standing strong, being able to come up here and really imbibe that for a week or two has been from the letters I get really important to people. And so that, that is what we like deliver routinely. Um, We do also like emergency, like save people when we can, like if you're, just got kicked out on the street. You don't know what to do, but you can kind of like, you have somewhere to go, but you can't get there yet. We are a really good way station for people in that position. You come up, uh, you know, touch grass for a week and then go back out into the world. Like, and given, you know, climate collapse and encroaching fascism, um, which if you don't 
get, then you need to probably study your history. Listen to this podcast more often, probably. Yeah, that probably. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there. You know, there's going to be rainbow railroads. Um, there's going to be a lot of bad things happening. Well, and it's going to happen quickly. We'll, we'll still be here. We're trying to grow to a size that like can help people more directly. Well, you but know? also but, we are already, but we're still here. Yeah. Even if we didn't grow, we'd still be here and we, you could count on us. Well, you know what the, I mean? But the networks that are set up, um, yep. like being able to quickly get people out of the country, being able to quickly get people to safety from anywhere in the country. Uh, that's what we have been focusing on. W- watching, much like we started in response to the violence that was that was ratcheting because of the Trump administration, we haven't lessened that, right? Like we are we're setting up networks and possibilities to get people safe from very unsafe situations uh, in this country, and that's kind of where it's going, fucking everywhere right now. So that kind of networking has we've found not only bolstered people, but is really important. The need for places like these is growing, just as quickly as the manufactured panic around drag shows. In response, the unicorns have decided to expand to another property in the valley, and one in Boulder County. These properties will allow them to serve a larger community, to grow crops, have horses, and increase the amount of emergency housing they can provide. The Unicorns have launched a new GoFundMe to help cover some of the starting costs to get the new locations up and running and begin farming operations. The additions would not only be providing more housing and income, but also add the ability to offer support groups and host queer events that are safe and accessible to folks in and around Boulder County, Colorado. You know, we've had some really intimate conversations with some queer people that are like, you know, like what you're doing is kind of keeping me going. So it's, it's, we take that responsibility pretty fucking seriously because, uh, it's why we weigh everything so heavily because it's like, look, we can't fail. Yeah. Like people, people put that much faith and like belief in what you're doing. You can't, um, you can't let them down. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we've said from the beginning, like this project isn't about us. Oh yeah. Like this project is about the community and giving giving us a stronghold of just fucking hope. Instead of walking away from this series thinking, "Oh, I'm going to go move to the ranch because I I guarantee there's not enough room for everybody listening even with the ongoing expansion." But people should take what we've learned from the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch and apply it elsewhere. Wherever you are, you can apply this example with all of its ups and downs to prospective havens across the continent, whether in cities or in the country. Building queer zones doesn't need to take form as a completely isolated, closed-off commune. As we've seen here, having connections and fostering community with those around you is a crucial part of maintaining a livelihood beyond just mere survival. While this has been a story about the internet and how it provides both positive connections and a medium for some of the worst bigoted hatred, and a story about guns, both how they have been used as a tool to protect trans people in rural Colorado, as well as being part of the original threat to trans lives and now a seemingly increasing one, 
But if there's one thing that I hope people can take away from this story, it's how all of these positive aspects are meaningless unless people are willing to demonstrate solidarity and work towards building a community that's capable of ensuring a queer haven like the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch is able to continue despite threats from queer exterminationists. If you want to keep up with the ranch, you can find them at tenaciousunicornranch.com, where you can also find their Patreon and the GoFundMe page for their expansion. You can find James at James Stout, and you can find me at Hungry Bowtie. See you on the other side. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.